ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion, pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. All right, here we go. So this is uh, part three. Uh, we're going to be blowing the crumple horn for the fraternal order of Western Western Row. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention, buddy. I just want to know who's going to be the the maiden all for Lauren. <laughs> Jim's driving somewhere. He's he's. Be, I, I am I am the man with a tattered all tattered and torn. <laughs> Yeah, I figured you'd get a kick out of that one. I even titled uh, the uh, the Zoom thing the Fraternal Order of Western Western Row. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, I dig it. All right, so I'm on with uh, – sorry, my wife. I don't know what she's texting me this for. Um, on with uh, Jim Huntsman and Chris Rowe for part three. I don't even know what the hell we're calling this now. Um, <laughs> Ranting well, to the – it's, it's, supposed, come it's home. supposed to be a, a continuation of the is is hunting conservation yeah. I, conversation, but and it's all over the place, right? I mean, you know, we we've we've gone up and down and run the gamut, um, and good conversation, right? And it's been actually it's been a conversation starter across multiple platforms um, that I've heard, you know, over the recent weeks as we started this and some of the DMs that are coming in. Um, and some yeah. of the emails that are coming in. So it's been pretty cool, man. You know, positive, negative feedback, some stuff lying in between and some absolute perspective switches um, because of it. So, you know, that's, that's the, that was the goal was to get the wheels turning. And man, I, I can't say that I uh, have any problem with being on the uh, firing line for the good, bad or indifferent with it, man. It just, you know, got the wheels turning. So bitch and welcome boys. Yeah. Good to be back, well, man. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, there's other podcasts doing podcasts about our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, that, and I think I think that was the goal to get the conversation started. That's all. That's all it was about. It's funny, right? Because there were some people that were pissed. They were they were pretty upset with uh, with what we had to say. Um, 
but so you know, the, can, go for can, it. Okay, can I ask? So seriously, um, like what were I, and I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to qualify why I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question: What were the negative comments? Like, what were the people? Now, Jim, I know you and I. Uh, we, we spoke about the one, uh, individual and you had him on the podcast and, and I had a podcast with him, but like, what were some of the negative comments that, that people brought? Because I didn't get any negative comments to me. I got some, I've got a bunch of, of really good, uh, comments. Like Pete, like you said, people are like, holy yeah. shit, man. Yeah. That's that like, really, I'm, I'm having to really yeah. think, you know, think about things a little bit different. I got those comments, but what I've been getting are friends of mine or followers of mine that are touching base with me that have had conversations with someone else. else and that someone else is like, dude, what the hell's going on with Chris Rowe? It's like, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> How come Chris isn't talking I, about elk? <laughs> like, don't, don't go like third party shit. Right. Like you, yeah, you come- I follow you and you follow me. Like you can just slide, you can just go, Right into the DM. You sent my buddy. Slide into Chris's DM. That's yeah. all you got to do. Just slide in. Slide on in there. No, I, I think uh, most of it, like from my end, uh, like you'd mentioned, like Mike Costello. He, he It wasn't like negative feedback. He, he was observing that he felt like the way we were going about it was a little wrong or, or, uh, too loud or, or whatever. And, and him and I talked about it on, on that episode. Uh, he, we did. So I don't, I don't want to group him into like the negative feedback. Cause it, it really wasn't, it was just, you know, conference, like, like you said, conversation starter, but, um, a lot of it was, I've, I've gotten some messages that, Oh, you guys are feeding right into the anti-hunting yes. movement yep. and, and, uh, Oh, you're, you're just giving them ammo and, and giving them credibility. Um, and did and it's like articulate, uh, did they articulate any points or did they just no did, not not really and that that's what's frustrating is it's like I I I can understand that premise to an extent but it's also like if if we don't take it from their perspective how are we going to solve these problems if we don't know what their perspective is it uh, what their perspective is well if we can't even and, digest uh, if we can't even yeah. digest what we're talking about in line with them, right? That's a bigger problem because we're not willing to be honest about issues that are in our house. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, that's, that's kind of my point to it. And so a lot of it was like that, but there's no, no real substance to some of the negativity. And I, I would actually welcome it if there was like, like bring us some substance. And we said at the, when we wrapped up the last episode on Chris's show, uh, that we, and I want to say it at the beginning of this one, if you have feedback, negative, positive, constructive, or otherwise, send it to us. Uh, I'd love, I'd love to see it in either my Instagram DM or, or Jim of the or guy's email or Chris's email. You know, we're all, we, we, I think we're all three of us are very responsive, um, to, to that kind of stuff. And so we want to see it. And I, I just want to encourage that. So if if I if I may, I'll I'll reiterate what I just said in my podcast uh, that I released this morning. Uh, so yeah, so we're re- we're recording this on Monday. Um, you know, I I made this statement before. We've we've had the conversation before, where it's it's absolutely pointless to argue facts and logic to someone who has no value for facts and logic. Yeah. Well, for me, 
go ahead and reverse that because <laughs> hey, there's, there's no, there's absolutely no, it's pointless to argue emotion for me because I have no value for emotion. So yeah. I, I don't want to hear emotion. Uh, you're it, it, just because you're emotional and, and because you, you feel uncomfortable. I don't have, I, I don't have any way to process that for you. I, I can't hug you and, and I'm not anywhere. I can give you a tissue. So put your big boy or big girl panties on and articulate a freaking argument, like a, a point, like, like make a point, like make an argument. Like yeah, make, exactly. You know, what did I say that was wrong? What, what, what did I say that was factually incorrect or substantively enough incorrect that it's problematic and it's going to cause problems? I'm open to, I, maybe I'm a dumbass and, and maybe I am absolutely out of line and I need to be educated myself. I'm open for that. So make a freaking point. But if it makes you uncomfortable and you really can't make a point, then what that tells me is there was some meat in there. There was some bone. There was some gristle in there that you need to chew on. So so chew mm -hmm. on it. Don't choke on it. Chew on it until you get it freaking broken down into something that you can handle and wrap your head around. And then circle, do a pull a Jen Saki, circle back, and then let's have a conversation. <laughs> hey, guy, you are recording, right? I don't have that little red dot, man. You yeah, sure it's on? I'm not recording on Zoom, buddy. It's just going right into the, the pewter. Oh, I got oh, sweet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, so that kind of, that was, that was almost perfect, gentlemen. Um, so value sets are part and parcel and it's, to our experiences in life, right? <coughs> One of the reasons or part of the reason that, that we all have a platform and, and I believe it was Chris said it, you know, we, we all kind of have our approach to it in the last episode. So I want, and, and Jim, we'll start with you kind of walk us through your history and, and, and why you're here, what got you to this point, what got you to the mindset, because I think there's a lot that people are missing, especially, I, and I say especially, with Chris um, and his history on the front line. So let's let's start with that part and parcel, and maybe we break down some understanding for folks. So are you asking like how like, I got to the point where I wanted to talk about these issues yes, specifically? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. Well, because I mean, if you back up to, you know, three some odd years ago when I started my podcast, the, the point and the foundational reason was because I I've seen, I've seen the threats and the negative things that are, that are ahead of us as hunters. And I, I've been concerned about the future of hunting. And it's not your typical stuff. You know, most people are concerned about public land or most some people are concerned about, you know, name your issue. Uh, but my concern was specifically and, and still is evolves around the anti-hunting movement and how hunters are feeding into the anti-hunting movement. And so uh, that's, uh, you know, for so, and I think it's just the nature of, of my personality. I've always had like... Um, I'll give you a great example, man. When I, when I got hired at the company I work at now, my boss made me take a uh, personality test. I'm actually going to pull over real quick because this uh, part of town I'm driving up on is pretty rough on the road. And I'll sound like I'm uh, 
it just you know hawked out on meth or something. Hold on. Don't try right. it on if the you, road. If you, if you're crying, it's okay. You, you can talk. <laughs> well, I might. I, it might. It might happen. But anyway, that um, it, when I when I got hired at this company that I work for, I had to take this personality test. And my boss came to me in like one of the interviews. Uh, it, it was like a four or five step interview process, right? And he's going through the personality test results, and he kept looking at me. He's like, you know, I'm a little concerned because you have authority problems based on this. You, you have you have a problem with authority. And if you date back to my childhood, my time in the Marines, uh, that that little personality trait was an issue uh, when I was in the Marines. Um, that is not to say I backtalk my drill instructors. So all you posers out there that claim you're going to punch your drill instructor, that always pisses me off because you wouldn't. But um, I, I laugh at it because I, I because we've been there. We know that. Yeah. You you could you could watch Full Metal Jacket the movie and laugh your ass off, at, <laughs> you know at at uh, Arlie Emery you know it, when he's the drill instructor because I did and then I went to then I went to basic training and there wasn't a damn thing funny. It was not funny, man. Like and they said they said funny shit. My drill instructor said funny shit like Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Full Metal Jacket, and and uh, it was not as funny when I'm standing there. So. Um, <laughs> But uh, my point is, is I've that I've always hated this sense that somebody is going to tell me what my destiny is or how I'm going to live my life or what I can't do and can do. And and that kind of has fed this um, as I've matured and I've aged, you know, it's it's gone less from where I, th I throw almost like a temper tantrum over over having somebody tell me what to do to more of a. Uh, where does this come from? Why, why does it bother me? Uh, it's a more mature approach to it. And, and it's probably why I'm a super conservative dude. I don't like the government meddling in my life. I don't, I don't like, uh, I, 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 I'm a free man. And I believe in that wholeheartedly to the point where I, I was in, you know, three different combat zones while I was in the service and, and, and I would do it again to protect my freedom. And so it, it, it I, I'm very much, a believer in that system. And so as I was getting close to starting this podcast, I was starting to get hot and bothered about these folks that lived in these big metro areas that thought that they knew my life better than I did or or my interest in wildlife management and hunting and being a part of nature and not just a spectator of nature. Those things started bothering me and it's just kind of boiled up and and uh, it came out to, to where I decided I'm going to start a podcast where it's not like we're going to talk about anti-hunting issues all the time. It's just going to be where we talk about our passion for hunting and how, how to make everybody better hunters. Oh, and by the way, we still need to deal with this issue over here going on in, you know, California, for example, or Washington, for example, and try to help fellow hunters in other states that are dealing with some of this anti-hunting legislation and whatnot. That's a long way of saying, um, as I started doing that and I started seeing a lot of this uh, negative hunting legislative action taking place and uh, wildlife management decisions being made and hunters were not showing up and organizations that are supposed to be having our back are silent. And, and this, and it, it ties into, again, if you want to relate it to my personal life, I believe the silent majority of America share similar beliefs that I do in a sense that we don't want the government down our throat and we don't want a bunch of wokesters in San Francisco telling us what we could fucking say. 
And and so it it the silent majority thing is driving me crazy. It's we I just don't believe we can be the silent majority anymore because we're getting pushed around by the masses that aren't even the masses. They're just loud minorities. And and when I when I say minorities, I'm talking about your hostile vegans, your anti-hunting folks, your uh, th- those kind of people that don't have any concept of what the natural world is and should be are telling us how to live our lives. And it comes from a place where like we've talked in the previous episodes where, you know, that we have different value sets and whatnot. And I can, I can, I can respect that, but hunters are not showing up and people are not showing up. You know, they're, they're reintroducing wolves into Colorado because the, the sportsmen didn't speak up and show up the way that they should have. They lost a spring bear because I believe the spring bear in Washington, they showed up better than they have before but they didn't show up enough and we're not making a loud enough ruckus. And that's kind of where I got the idea that you guys are, you know, between everybody's different perspectives and, and your different backgrounds and like Chris's longevity in the hunting community, um, kind of sparked this idea of, of having these specific discussions that we're having now. Does that answer your question, Guy? I know it was long-winded. No, that's that's perfect, man. And and again, I want people to understand where it's coming from. What? Okay, so you said, and I'm I'm sure that's going to come up. So we're just going to address it now. Feeding into the anti-movement, right? What What do you mean when you when you talk about hunters feeding into the anti-movement or anti-hunting movement? What I meant by that is along the lines of what we talked about in the last episode of this series, where. Chris actually opened my eyes to this, but I, I knew it was there. I didn't know how to articulate it, but the whole idea of, um, somebody on my Facebook feed. Yes. I still get on Facebook cause I have a lot of, uh, you know, long lost friends on there where that's the only way I keep in touch with them. Um, posted a video of exactly what we talked about the last time we recorded, which was he has a coyote stuck in a foothold trap in that little circle of death and it's night and they got like a spotlight on this terrified coyote and he walks up and this big, you know, end of the pistol comes into view in the camera. Boom. This coyote goes into an absolute fucking spasm session because it just got shot. It's laying there. It's yelping. Uh, he's playing this some country song in the background of the video. Or, or, or some some song in the background. I don't I, I don't want to say it's country now. I don't even remember. It might have been uh, might have been rap, <laughs> for all I know. But um, and finally the coyote dies, and then it kind of switches over to him holding the coyote up in front of the camera. What happens when Peta gets a hold of that video and shares it to the masses because they have the money? And they have the resources to put that in front of millions of people. And the people that have a dog that looks similar to that coyote going into spasms because a chunk of lead just entered its body. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging the act of trapping and killing a coyote. So don't anybody get me wrong. Right. I, in fact, I, 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 I was coyote hunting this last weekend with my girls. I just don't put it on social media. There's uh, now. If, if I, I, might, I would. Oh, if, go ahead. No, if I might, I, all I would say is <clears throat> that is the unfortunate sausage making that has to occur in management. 
Yes, there's absolutely. A, there's, there's, a, yeah. there's a difference. There's a difference between making sausage <coughs> and, and celebrating the spectacle. Yeah, because it is a spectacle. When you trap a dog, uh, meaning wolf, coyote, whatever, bobcat even, when, you're, when you trap these animals, that is the ugly business of wildlife management that doesn't necessarily need to be put out there to the public. And I know people are going to, their heads are going to fucking spin when I say that. But it was like, I, I am a dog lover. I am an avid coyote hunter. Uh, I, have, I have done almost to a T what happened in that video myself. So again, it's not the act. But I, it, that video bothered me. And so what is going to happen to somebody who's not an avid coyote hunter or, or, an, or a sportsman or an outdoorsman. So okay, let's, let's, let's hopefully take that a, answers your question. No, it does. Let's take it away from that. I sent you guys a post, and, and I, I forget the guy's name because I would sure shit say it right now. And he has a deer. He's cut off just in front of the rear quarters. I mean, just clean oh, yeah, cut yeah, off, yeah. right? And the pack out is basically, I mean, it, as a hunter – the pack out is a deer dangling from his antlers, slapping his calves, back of his knees and calves, and it's two-thirds the deer. And he's celebrating the pack out, and I forget the caption on the post. Now, that shit right there, like the coyote thing is one thing. That right there, that display that I sent you guys, that shit right there was it was it was appalling to me. Um that was bad. I mean, so yeah, I feel you. I just want to clarify what you what you meant by feeding into that because that both those to me the the deer dangling. I don't even know if that thing was gutted, man. I don't even know if it was field dressed. Um, that was something else. All right, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, it's it's interesting. Well, we can. I was I wasn't as I looked at it and I was like, okay. I mean it. Uh, yeah, I didn't, it, it was, it was already, it's dead. It's, it was field dressed. They wanted to, I just looked at it from a standpoint of like, why? Yes. Like I, 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 exactly. I, 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 I saw the, I saw the post, I read the comments. I, I went through and, and the person explained their rationale for it. Um, and I, I, okay. Display whatever. That? I mean, display that though. Right. I, th this is okay. This is again, this is where it becomes a situation where we, you know, or uh guy you brought up before. And I think probably the first episode, the, you know, the silos, these, these silos of ideas, the silos of ideology, the silos of value sets, the tribe mentality, you know, a birds of a feather will flock together and, and people that have like minded uh, acceptance of certain aspects of our uh, lifestyle and those people that that don't have a problem with maybe the grotesque and celebrating the grotesque and everybody's going to have a different level of of what they what what's a cutoff for for but we know when things are egregious and and when they're not you know what i mean I, you know i i'll get to it don't let me forget about the the fishing. Uh, I sent you both. A, a, there was a clip from somebody who was fishing and made an improper release on a taman, and then I sent you the prairie dog one. So don't. And I want to. I think it would be good to compare and contrast that. So let's not get off that here in a little bit. But um, 
it's for me, it's the celebration of the spectacle. And the problem with social media is it has enabled it's emboldened, not enabled, not enabled because it's always been there. The, the, the celebration and the people that revel in the, the, the physical spectacle of carnage has always been there. Social media now has allowed is, has emboldened people because you get to cherry pick your community. You believe, you believe you get to cherry pick your community. So I'm only going to pick those friends. I'm only going to pick those people that think like me. Whereas before we had to be out in, in general public. When I was in college, you know, somebody, I think I've shared this story before, you know, when somebody came in the dorm, uh, we were all hunters. We had a game cleaning room right in the bottom of the dorm room. You know, I mean, dorm dormitory was freaking awesome. So when somebody came in, there's a, there's a, I will never, I don't, I, I don't, doesn't matter his name. I will never forget him because it was like every day or every other day he would come in and he'd have, he'd get a bunch of us guys together to go help him track a deer because he was the guy that if he saw Brown lead was in the air, it didn't matter if he hit him in the foot, the guts, the hind quarter, the, the, you know, the legs just, he would just, just freaking mutilate these damn, these poor deer because he just was horrible at shooting and did not care, like did not care. And so we'd go out numerous times, could not find the animal, completely lose. He'd go right back out the next night and do it over again. He learned very quickly that within, like, it was probably about two weeks, maybe tops, a week. After like the fifth one, everybody was like, fuck you. Like, no, we're, no, we're not, not only are we not going to go help you, we're not going to associate with you because you're a scab, slob, unethical hunter. You need to get your shit squared away because this is absolutely ludicrous. So Mm -hmm. that feedback, he got that night. Now, I don't know if it ever changed him and what he did and, and how he thought, but he felt the immediate repercussions of an egregious series of behaviors. Now with social media, we don't because if people don't like us, they just don't follow us or they just keep going right on through and they ignore. But if people like us, they like, and they comment and they're like, Oh, that's freaking awesome. So it artificially inflates the community that thinks like they do. And all of a sudden you get a thousand likes, you get 10,000, you know, 10,000 or a thousand followers, 10,000 followers or whatever. And now suddenly in your mind, you believe this is not only acceptable, this is what's propelling me in this space. And it's giving me followers. It's giving me likes. It's, it's giving me that rush of dopamine every time I go and check my social media. So not only is this accessible, acceptable, this is good. And so it just, it's that for me, the issue is watching this community embrace the celebration of the grotesque and and posting the the grotesque more and more and more and more and more and to Jim to to Jen Saki to you this is the thing is is you know when people can criticize and say we you know you me and guy are, are and others are feeding into the antis like are you serious man right. like is that a joke like seriously you you, you either are like the person I talked about t- 
today, you know, yesterday, or yeah, today in my podcast, you, you're new to the hunting industry in, in the hunting community. You, you've walked into this house. Uh, you know, we probably should clarify that, but anyway, we walked it. You're walking in the, you're, you're, you're just now you came in from the porch and you've walked into the front room of this, of this fraternity. You, you haven't had enough time to get to the, the, the back rooms and see the shit that's in there. Some of us have been in this house for a long time. Okay. For right. So right there. And we're I'm, just getting tired of the shit. Okay. From right. So right there, you've been in the house a long time. Go, go give us the history and why Chris is at the point where Chris is at. And then we're going to come back to that. Um, the posting, because I think for me, it's worth saying, and, and I don't give a shit if it's beating a dead horse that we have a responsibility to our comrades in, in this community. So give us that history, Chris, let us, uh, so people get an idea if how they can don't know at this point, but I thought it was important. So shoot. Well, and, and if you don't mind, I'm going to go all the way back because okay. I, the one thing that I have gotten from some people that are close to me that I trust and I, and I, I listen to, they're scared to death for me because they think that I'm ruining my brand. Like I'm, I'm destroying everything that I've built and I've worked for uh, by, by, by kind of shifting a little bit temporarily and talking about these things. So let me, let me start at the beginning. So I grew up in a family that was, uh, that, that hunted and I grew up in a family that hunted uh, illegally and well, just, I wouldn't say unethically, uh, but technically illegally in upstate New York. It's uh, it's it was in our area. It was illegal to shoot deer with a high powered rifle. You could use a shotgun, but it was illegal to use a high powered rifle. I had some family members, extended family members who didn't give two shits about that. They loved long range shooting. And they said, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to shoot a deer anyway. And so they would use high powered rifles to shoot deer. Mm. And then I had some family members that, you know, if that if that deer was in season or not was irrelevant, they got their deer. And so I was, and I had a, and I also grew up with a grandfather on the other side of my family who was a game warden. So my grandfather got me into this passion of fly fishing and turkey hunting and deer hunting. And then I spent the on the ground tutelage, if you will, with these on my, my other side of my family's farm and land. And so I, I'm here I am growing up in hunting and I love hunting. And I'm passionate about hunting and I'm hearing both sides. I'm hearing and seeing both sides of the spectrum. Now, my grandfather at the time was retired and it wasn't even in his district. So it wasn't like my grandfather could come over and bust my uncles or, or cousins or whatever. It, that's not how it was. But I was getting in my ears on one side. I was getting the ethical, legal, proper way to engage in the consumptive use lifestyle. And then on the other side, I was able to go walk the woods in the fields and go hunt, but I was surrounded by people that were unethical or not un, not unethical because it wasn't like they were wounding things or wasting things. They just decided, I don't care about that law. I don't value that law. So I'm going to do my own thing. And so they were breaking the law. And so to the point where even some of them shot spring turkey with a rifle. Because they did not have the skill set to kill turkeys, call them in and, and with a shotgun. Now, this is where 
I started to develop myself, and this is what started to set myself apart, I think, even from some of my family back in the early days, because myself and another close uncle of mine that was more by my best friend, I have very, very large family. So my the youngest uncle I have is like four years older than I am. So we grew up more like best friends. We started being able to perform exceedingly well on the landscape ethically within the legal limits, within the legal confines of the law, whereas the rest of the members of our family were unable to do so. And so here is where I started separating myself apart from others. So fast forward, I leave home. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving home. I go to Wisconsin. I met up with some other great hunters and great friends. And long story short, I got really good at killing shit and it was fun. And that fed into my ego and my cockiness. And so when I ended up in Colorado and I was going through sports and back in the day, I was watching the Primos videos and everything else. I loved Will Primos. I loved all the Primos guys, but here I am. I'm very good at killing shit. Um, I'm starting down my road of wildlife biology, wildlife behavior and all that type of stuff. I start learning things that make me even better at killing, especially elk. And so I start watching some things going on. My cockiness leads me to get in literally approach Will Primos and say, I want to be on your pro staff. He sees what I can do and my calling abilities. And back in the day, he's like, yeah, we want you to be the pro staffer. So here I am now. Now I went from just this cocky kid that can kill some shit. Now I'm, now I've got some responsibility. Now I represent a company that has exceedingly high standards and exceedingly high ethics and respect across the industry. So not only. Yeah. I think it's important you qualify that Chris, cause that's back when being on a pro staff meant something. It was, yeah. it was different than, right. than, uh, than what it does today. Right. That, so, so Jim just got the first don't... hate mail for this episode. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, and, and, uh, yeah. Trust me, trust me. I'll, I'll go to bed. Jim at the Western right. Yeah, right. right. So that, no, and that's true. And, and the reason why that is true is because back in the day, a pro staffer was an official representative of the company that was supposed to go out into the world on behalf of the company and represent the company's interest. And so my job as a pro staffer was to handle and use and perfect and know all of the game calls that Primos made within within my, especially in what I needed to worry about, and then go to businesses and help them learn about the new calls, learn how to sell them, learn their strengths or weaknesses and all that type, then go to and do seminars. This is long before the internet or, or before, you know, there's no YouTube, there is no Facebook, there is no Instagram. There, I mean, we were, you're watching videos on VHS, okay? So this is back in the day when if you wanted to learn something, you would go to a seminar and you'd sit your cheeks and seats in a, in, a, in a venue and I would be on the stage talking to you, teaching you. And so now all of a sudden, my cockiness, it, it's risky because I'm sitting in a room full of people that I don't know. And there's people in those seats in front of me that might know a hell of a lot more than I do. And so I started to get into, uh, now I'm, 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 I started in the front door of hunting. I started walking through the community and I started really getting good at killing shit in the community. 
But then I was given an opportunity by Will Primos to take another step deeper into the industry and now teach people on a formal level and represent something bigger than I was, which really made me check myself. So as I'm getting involved with that, I end up getting involved. I'm fast forwarding. I start getting involved also with sportsman related issues in Colorado, wildlife commission decisions, uh, sportsman's organization functions, uh, legislative stuff. I'm, I'm going to these meetings and I start seeing things. Now at this point, people know who I am. Like everybody in Colorado knows who the hell I am. Like everyone, Chris Rose, the primos guy. Okay. I start showing up at these functions and I start listening to not only whether it's politicians, whether it's agency personnel, whether it's commissioners or more importantly, sportsmen's quote unquote organizations. And I start listening to what's being, I know what I've been told or what I hear on the street or what I've been marketed to. But then I go and sit in the actual meetings and I listen to the same people that are supposed to be speaking on behalf of me, on, on my behalf. And I'm listening to them absolutely like, no, like you're not representing what I value. You're not, not only you're not representing what I value, I am literally in front of thousands of people across Colorado, Northern New Mexico and Southern Wyoming every year at this point. Like in the summer, it, at the heyday, I was doing a seminar in the summer from mid-June till middle of August, every Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night, I was somewhere giving a seminar. And so I'm on the ground talking to actual sportsmen from all four corners of Colorado, Southern Wyoming, and Northern New Mexico. And, the, and I hear what's going on and what the, obviously we all talk. I know what the people are are concerned about and what they're what they're wanting their um, what they would like on the landscape from a hunting standpoint. And then I go to these public meetings and I listen to these organizations that claim to represent the sportsmen of Colorado. And I listen to what they want and what they're saying and what they're doing. And on behalf of, and I'm like, that's like night and day. You are not representing the sportsmen of Colorado. You're representing your narrow interest. And more importantly, not only are you representing your narrow interest, your narrow interest is like way far left environmental than what the average person is. Number one. Number two, you never asked any of the sportsmen of Colorado if they were in line with your ideology. But guess what? I've said it before. The world is run by those who show up. And there's two types of people in this world. Those that wish to be left alone, the conservative mindset individual, and those that refuse to, the progressive mindset individual the progressive the number of progressive sportsmen's organizations and individuals that were involved with politics constantly was absolutely egregious to the point where it pissed me off and i finally put my hat in the ring to say i'm good i we need better representation someone needs to have a a formal position here in which they do represent the other side of the story and through a very contentious election, I won a sportsman's representative seat in the, the sportsman's advisory group back in the day by one vote. And the only reason why I won that one vote is because the conservative mindset individual actually showed up, cheeks in seats, and, and represented. 
the progressive movement that came out against me and were just just the vitriol and the just conniving, sneaky bullshit that was going on behind the scenes, trying to make sure that I was not elected. And they wanted to maintain the progressive ideology in the influence of the agency and policy in Colorado. They were pissed. And that was the story for I don't know how many years that I was involved with sportsman's politics. I was loved by those people that that wanted fair representation, that wanted their voice heard, that had more of a conservative mindset, that wanted process, open, transparent, honest, righteous process, public process to where people could go and voice their opinion, have the agency hear it, the agency hears it, listens to it, incorporates it, and then develops policies out the other end based on the public input. That's what a lot of people wanted. It was not what a lot of the progressive ideology organizations were were pushing for. So I was either loved by those people that wanted a righteous process, transparent process, or I was vehemently hated by the, the progressive individuals because every time I showed up, I shut the shit out. They, they, they got shut down. Most of the time they got shut down. So this is where I spent a very large percentage of my time up until 2013 when I was given the opportunity to, to take this essentially position, this, this job opportunity here in Northwest Kansas and start doing more with Habitat rather than focusing on elk and my private consulting stuff. I could switch over and do whitetails and turkeys and upland birds, oh my, and and work with landowners and work with hunters, you know, take hunters, you know, guide, outfit, manage. I mean, it's a dream come true. And when I did that, at that point, I had spent the better part of 10, 15 years beating my head against the wall. Because again, what Jim or a guy, you know, I talked about previously, at some point, you know, we could talk about the, the process, but just simply having people send an email or, or either having, you know, electing me to go represent them. And I, and I can say, I represent say 10,000 people or whatever me showing up and saying, I represent 10,000 people is one thing. I still am one man, one voice, but if there's seven different progressive organizations at the meeting, guess what? It's seven to one. It doesn't matter how many emails get sent in to the, the decision makers, they're looking at the people that are standing in front of them right there in the in, in the in the meeting itself. So I kept telling I kept beating my head against the wall because I needed the conservative mindset. I needed those people that actually wanted to defend their value set to actually show up. I, I I've said this before. I didn't need people to show up to a meeting to to ram their ideology down someone else's throat. I just simply needed them to show up and defend themselves. And they didn't repeatedly. And and I now I I I now understand why I understand the personalities I understand the mindset et cetera et cetera et cetera. You guys watch that constrained unconstrained that YouTube video that I did. This is why I did that video to help people understand um, understanding ideology on that YouTube my YouTube channel. Um, I was frustrated, and so I was given an opportunity to move to to Northwest Kansas. And quite honestly, I was I was given an opportunity just to check the fuck out. Like I'm done. I, I've been in the trenches for a long enough and I just want a break. And so I did, I stepped out. I've been out here for now going on 10 years, but here's the problem. Progressive ideology, progressive individuals never fucking Stop, go man. away. 
They never stop and it keeps getting worse and worse. And so now with social media, now with YouTube, now with all the things going on, I can't not pay attention to it. I can't not see it. And just, I I tried ignoring it for so many years. I tried saying, you know, it's not my fight anymore. You know what? I did my time. I've already, I've been there, done that. I don't, I just, I just need to ignore it. Guess what? Not only is it not my personality, the problem is, is that where I'm at right now is I'm watching the future of our consumptive use lifestyle in jeopardy. We are going to lose it. And I think we're going to lose it not because of the onslaught of the animal activist or anti-hunter movement. I think we're going to lose. I'm I'm worried. I'm worried we could lose it because of what we in our own community are doing on the public space. And I don't know if we're going to win over the number of non-hunters that we're going to need to win the battles that we're going to have in the public sphere in the future. And so now this is where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's affecting me in my happiness in, in my enjoyment in this community, like seriously to where it's like, all right, I've got, I've, I've got to say something. I, me not saying something makes you as guilty as the folks more, (laughs) was, was more painful and more damaging to my mental health than me saying something and getting it out there and at least articulating it. So this is why I'm at where I'm at. But then you play part in the fall of it. Right. I mean, ultimately, um, and, and I wanted to do that because I think folks get upset, especially when, and I say, especially right. But when, when Chris articulates, there is a lot of thought for most folks that have to be put into that. So it, it's easy to go, he's pissed off and this is the wrong shit, but they're not, I don't think that they're picking it apart or spending the time and going back and saying, well, what did he mean? Or reaching out. We goddamn know for sure that most people aren't reaching out to Chris in disagreement to, to get, uh, to get righted, if you will, uh, or to understand exactly what or- he's saying. Or to or or to, to or to change my mind again. I've I've said this before. John Kenneth Galbraith, who is who is a progressive, as far as I know, you know, when faced with a choice of changing one's mind or proving that there's no reason to do so, most everyone gets busy on the proof. And so that's the thing is, I, I if I'm wrong, I want you to show me where I'm wrong. If if I am out of line, please, dear Lord, show me, and because I want to be better. Like I, I want to be better, and I and I want the I want our community to be better. I want our lifestyle to be better. I want us to have a long and vibrant and rich future. So if I'm wrong, please, dear Lord, like show, pretend I'm from Missouri and show me. Don't don't just sit there. And, ah, I don't like it. Oh, but yeah, guess what? There's a safe space over there somewhere. Go 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 grab a tissue and and, and go over your space safe space. I, I give zero shits. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know how passionate you are. But but that and and people can't take that right. We we our our skin has become so thin that that just that alone will mute everything that you just said, right? And they'll. They'll crawl into their ball, go into their safe space, as you said, and just be offended by the last few words and not hear anything that you delivered 
and the passion that you deliver it with. Go ahead. I say that, and and I do mean it, but I also am sympathetic to the fact that many of the younger generation these days have never been taught how to have an uncomfortable conversation. It's not just, it's not just younger generation anymore. The problem, the problem is, you know, shit usually goes downhill, but now that has climbed up the ladder and got into the older generation too. Cause there's guys that, that, hit me up and we're like, man, what's Chris's problem? And I'm like, really? Like, I'm thinking this dude's about my age and he can't take listening to it and has no, has no qualms about uh, with questioning what was said with no thought that there's value in it. And it, it's not, that's because that's, that's just how like society is now. That's what, uh, that's a big part of our problem. Like my, my wife puts on this show. Yeah. Uh, my my wife puts on this show called Married at First Sight, and there's this uh, it's like a reality show, and it's got these late twenties, early thirties people on that like they never met, but they get married, and then they kind of follow them through this eight, eight week journey, and they uh, they get in these little disagreements on the show. Uh, these these uh, this particular one that I walked in on was uh, they were in San Diego. And the wife or the husband, I don't remember which one was saying it, but, you know, the one gets upset and the other one's going, oh, you know, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't create a safer space for you. I didn't mean to trigger you. And they use all this modern woke culture, culture psychobabble that is is like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, that was not, you're apologizing for that. Try not taking the garbage out around my wife. You want to talk about triggered, like, like, but, but grow the fuck up. But see that, but okay. So this is where, um, and this is, it's a, it's a phenomenon. I don't know what episode number it is, but it's a podcast between Jordan Peterson. I think it was Jordan Peterson podcast. And he had Brett Weinstein on, uh, this has got to be a couple years ago now. And the beautiful thing about that, Brett Weinstein is a very left leaning uh, he's a liberal. He's very left. He's, he's a liberal. He's not a leftist. He was a former professor at Evergreen State College in Washington State, like the uber freaking far whack job in viral, you know, leftist, you know, university. He got ousted because he, he wasn't woken up. And that really shook him to his core. And, and the beautiful thing about their evolutionary biologists, um, him and his wife, why I bring that up is they had a Jordan and, and Brett had a conversation and they were talking about social media today and especially on young adults and, and all the way down to teenagers, especially if you're preteen and the development of how you develop your brain and how social interaction develops your personality and your ability to function on the landscape, your resiliency and, and mental issues and, and landscape type stuff. And the problem we have with a gen, the, these these multiple generate, and I, I know when I say generation, some people are like, "Oh, that's eighty years." I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you. You get to the point where you become a parent, and then 
you continue, obviously you're continuing to mature and your children mature. And then all of a sudden your children have children. So yeah, guy, you just said you're about to be a a grandpa, you know, Mm -hmm. is this your first time or second or more like first? Yep. Yeah. So you're, you're about to be a grandpa. Okay. So in my, in my world, we're, we're talking, here's two generations, you, you're yours. And then your, you know, your kid, you know, they, they're having their kid. So when you look at the generations that grew up with social media, the problem with social media is, again, we go back to you get to cherry pick the community that you belong to, that you you get to cherry pick the friends that surround you, that think like you, that that give you the positive feedback. How many times in Facebook do you, did people get, oh, I'm going to block or I'm going to uh, unfriend you? Uh, I'm going to unfriend yeah. you. I don't I don't like what you're saying. So I'm going to unfriend you, which means. I don't like how who you are and what you represent and everything else. So rather than contend with you, like wrestle with you and, and really engage you, I'm just going to ignore you and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to become friends with someone who lives in a different country that I'll never see. I'll never talk to live. And I'll just, we'll, we'll just have this. They're a friend because they hit a like on my social media, but they agree with me. And every time I do something, they say, that's great. And every time I, I say something, they're like, amen, sister, I agree with you. Or right on, bro. Yeah, that's all. So we we cherry pick the silo that we live in in our, in our fantasy world online. And we choose, most of us, those people that are going to praise us, affirm what we're doing, give us positive feedback, tell us what we're doing is good, give us the thumbs up and the likes and the follow. We are going to cherry pick those type of people. Guess what? It is very rare that you're going to have controversial conversations and discussions and arguments and wrestle intellectually in those type of circles. So when you spend the bulk part of your teenage years and your young adult years in that environment, that 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 psychological environmental space, they, you you don't develop the skill sets to understand how to listen to a different viewpoint, consider a different viewpoint. There it is right there. Wrestle, wrestle with a different viewpoint and then make a counterpoint. What, what, what Most is it? What, in, what is it where we can't consider someone else's viewpoint where we can't consider that someone period. else has a differing opinion or value set than us and not be okay with, with toiling with ourselves that maybe we might be a little bit off base or fucked up. I mean, that to me is one of the great things about talking to you guys and just listening to this shit. We don't necessarily agree word for word on a lot of things, but we do have a, I think the demographic, the community at whole, we have a universal value set for the most part, as hunters. Um, I just don't understand where we cannot accept and appreciate someone's differing opinion. That shit drives me crazy. It just, it just, but it's going to come with maturity, man. And I, and I don't mean maturity with age. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come with maturity of experience. And it's, and it's going to have to be a felt experience. Jim, I, I, you know... And I know how that just sounded. It just it just resonated. My it, this is this is my truth. No, no. Um, Jim, what you, 
Oh, man, now I just, I wrecked myself. I got myself, I just, oh, yeah, I know exactly how that sounded. I heard, you know, like, what, Modern Family, Phil? I heard it. Yep, I heard it. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, Jim, to what you were saying, I, I was listening to you, what, how you lined out your your origin story, if you will, about where how you're here. And the thing that really hit me was is you started to see you, you started to have experience where what you were hearing did not jive with what you were seeing. And then Correct. When, when you, so your experience started to, to reveal inconsistencies on the landscape that your personality said, I need to get, I need to get this squared away. Like I need to wrap my head around what a why am i seeing inconsistencies and where are these inconsistencies coming from and and how do i process it and address it that is when 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 you have enough life experience and intellectual maturity and emotional maturity and and you feel comfortable in your own skin and your own weakness or your 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 frit you know limitations that's where you can sit there and you go hold on a minute and and you start having a different epiphany um with things going on around you the, the fact that like you we talk I, I just got off to do do another five or six hour marathon with Aaron Snyder Kafaro cast Kafaro and to hear him now in this same mind in the same headspace that we are to where he's like, so, like I'm witnessing things in the field, and I and I and I'm really struggling wrapping my head around it because this is bullshit. Like, it it's not it's not just guy, it's not just Jim, it's not just Chris, it's this, and you guys know this damn well. The number of people that have reached out to all of us and they were like, "Thank you, dear Lord, for fucking saying this," because here's my story, here's my example. What the hell's going on here? What about this? And then just a freaking poster come flying in. This is not an isolated minority view that, or what we're seeing and what we're articulating and what we're calling out and, and getting tired of. That's not, we, we are not the minority observers. We're simply right now part, because we're not the only ones. We are just part of that my currently minority speaking about it because there's a hell of a lot of people that want to just sweep it under the rug or just walk right. Just like my analogy with the kitchen or the bathroom, just wow. I just want to put my blinders on. I'm going to just walk through the shit and, and pretend it doesn't exist. And I just want to do my own thing. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? That ain't cutting it anymore. No, it's not cutting it. And that, that was kind of part of my problem was I felt like I had these, these opinions and whether or not anybody listened to, to me, I mean, who am I? You know, I, I'm just some dude in North Idaho that decided to start a podcast and, and it, it got way bigger than I ever thought it would. Uh, but it, it's like, I'm, I'm like you, Chris, in a sense, from a sense that like, I, I can't keep this stuff to myself. I, 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 I want to be, and I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not perfect with this yet, but, I've I've been this a uh, partly this way my entire life where I do want to be a man of action and if I feel a way 
I, I want to pursue that. And if, if I have principles, I'm going to defend them. What's the point of having principles if you don't defend them? And, and that's, you know, that's, that's where it came from. And back to what you guys were talking about where people are like not willing to have the conversation or they're scared of any kind of contention that, that comes from this social media stuff where people don't want you to just, you know, support them or understand them or be friendly with them. Everybody wants everybody else to be their cheerleader. And that, that's where a lot of this comes from is like, I, I don't have to be your cheerleader and you don't have to be my cheerleader for us to be friends. That's right. I I'll, I'll go, I'll go hunting with you anyway. It's like, well, no, that using that could be super uh, controversial. <laughs> and I'll, I'll stop right there. But uh, you know, I, it's, there's a difference between understanding and respecting somebody else's perspective because that's their perspective and turning around and advocating for that perspective. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, people talk about it all the time. It, 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 they're, um, what, what I'm going to paraphrase this, but the, the, one of the signs of intellectual maturity is being able to entertain an idea that is counter to yours without having to accept it. Mm-hmm. I, I can, I can entertain your idea. I, I can literally listen to what you're saying. I will put myself in your shoes from your frame of reference, from your value set. And from based on your, if, if, if someone has the, the maturity to do this and, and this, it comes with experience, not necessarily age. It just comes with experience and, and life experience. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to try to put myself in your shoes. I'm going to take into account your personality, your life experience and your perspective in this. And I'm, I'm going to try to wrap my head around your argument. And then I'm going to see how that squares with my structure. And it may be that we have zero in common. But I understood you. I heard you. And I can literally articulate your position back to you in a satisfactory manner, in a respectful really? way. And, and then we say, you know what? We agree to disagree. Or the yeah, real story. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm cussing. I'm going up my driveway. It's a damn sheet of ice right now. <laughs> little sketchy. Little sketchy. Hold on. You need to talk to the homeowner about that. That's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> so, so it's interesting, right? And and I'll I'll give a very brief origin story if, if, since that's what we're calling it now. One of you guys coined it. You know, contrast. I didn't grow up doing this. I was, you know, the the scourge of the earth, uh, as they say, adult onset, right? I didn't, I grew up inner city, um, south central Los Angeles of all places. I could see the Hollywood sign and that's all those mountains meant to me. I didn't know that there was, you know, deer and, and, and bear and um, bobcat and mountain lions in those mountains. I had something in me when we, you know, we'd go out, I grew up uh, fishing and we'd go out, man, and I'd see deer and pig on the, the lake edge and it just intrigued me. Right. So I had, there was a point in my life where I had an opportunity to do it. Very little freaking money. I took my, you know, 250, $300 I saved, bought a bow and I ain't looked back since. And for me, it was the value that I found pursuing animals that made me want to start this podcast. Right. So I could share it to people that, that didn't get it. Right. Cause as I was growing and listening and learning, there was holes in it, right? And yes, I could relate to a point with, 
you know, arrowing a deer or, you know, sending some lead downrange and hitting a deer. It was missing the things that it added to my life in terms of value. Um, my respect for life increased, all life increased. Um, I can't explain to you guys what it means to grow up in the inner city, um, literally dodging bullets um, or having to lay in a bathtub and things like that. You don't, the, the outlook isn't the same. And I didn't grow up conservative. Um, very, I wouldn't say very liberal, but it was, this is why you vote. This is why you voted. And it was generational, um, with that screwed up mindset. And I won't go too far deep into that rabbit hole, um, right. So I don't have the same background, but I, I said it earlier, right? There's this, there's a, a universal value set that we have as hunters. And that is, that is what I appreciate. Now, I think when we look at, and we'll get back into this real quick is when we talk about these posts and I say, it's appalling. It it wasn't grotesque to me in the sense of, oh, blood and guts. What was appalling to me is that someone that has the same value set ultimately doesn't give a shit on how it affects the rest of us. And that is what's appalling to me. I value this so much that I'm going to try and do everything I can do to show it in the best light, irregardless of what I want to post I'm not going to show anything that might be a detriment to the demographic at large. And that's how I see those things. Um, and it drives me, it drives me freaking crazy when I see it. it. The increased value to my life through hunting is something that I value in high, high regard. I mean, it, it's up there with my family, my maker. It, I mean, it is that high and that ain't no bullshit. Uh, so when I see that stuff and the things that I feel like is a detriment to us, it it just it drives me apeshit crazy. So there's that's my quick take on my origin. Just so folks hear the diversity in the three of us uh, and where we come from in it. Um, so go back. I want to go back to the post. When do we realize what we're up against? Right. Because I think that's part of it. Um, this has been decades long when we look at the anti-hunter movement, um, and what we're up against and their history and their learned experience, uh, where we're always on the defensive, um, and we want to close our eyes to it. In, in my opinion, folks that have been upset or pissed off or whatever about, you know, the conversation or, or what's been said in these conversations, I don't think they realize what we're fighting against and why having this conversation is important. And it kind of goes to Chris's analogy in his episode he released today. Chris, what number is that? Uh, 62, I believe. Okay. So listen 62. to that. And, and that'll be yeah, 62. Okay. And okay. That, that's some really good context into what we're talking about um, and why we need to keep our freaking house clean. Where, Jim, where, where do you draw the line? I mean, if we talk about, and I guess we could define it if we need to, um, but where are we, where are we at? We don't, do you think that we don't know what we're fighting against? Is this just, you know, we're just going to willy nilly do the old cork board in the general store 
And if you walk in that store and don't like it, keep walking to the, you know, to the pop aisle and shut the fuck up. That's because that's how I feel when I see that stuff. Are you asking me, dude? Yeah. If I oh, don't, okay. it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. So, so you're asking where, where we draw the line in terms of like what, like well, what we post? No, or? when, when do we realize what we're fighting against when, when we're doing this shit that we think is, is acceptable um, in terms of the coyote post or, you know, dangling a deer, blah, blah, blah. I, I well, think I, there's a I, lack of, there's naivety there. Oh, I totally do. I totally do. That coyote video that I told you about um, earlier, uh, you know, where, where he goes into spasms. Uh, a kid posts it on his Facebook page, uh, and it's not like in a hunting group, because that's going to be different. If you're in like, uh, like I'm in a group, Idaho trappers, you know, blah, 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 whatever the group is. The only people in the group, it's a private group, see that post. Totally different. Um so when you're when you're talking about like that that coyote video, that thing he just posted it to his personal page, and there was over a thousand views on it by the time I saw it. Um, I don't know where we draw that line, man. I don't know where we draw the li- the one line that I, I think you're getting at is I think that people are starting to wake up a little bit here and there, um, and I I think that um, there's not going to be just one person that says what that line is. I think it's going to take like, I'll, I'll give you that. I had, I was telling you guys, I had Matt Ranella on the show. Um, that episode's not out yet, but it, it probably will be this week. Um, him and I couldn't be more vastly different in terms of how we view what the future of hunting or what is making the future of hunting at stake? Now, there's a lot of things he said I, I, you know, very much agreed with. But the point is, is I, when I got off the, uh, when I was done recording with Matt, uh, I felt like I had a new friend. Even though we were miles apart, we did not agree. I don't think posting a grip and grin is going to be the, uh, you know, the detriment to the future of hunting. Uh, but... But I did feel like I had a new friend, and the guy is a hunter, and he he values hunting, and he's passionate about hunting, just like me, right? He's he's not trying to ruin hunting or or ruin the life of ruining the life of the of a sportsman. So, um, w- what I'm driving at with that is, I think it's going to take a collection of voices uh, and the the entirety of the community to come up with what that line is and how we self police ourselves. Because, like, you know, for me, um, Chris, you, you're, you're older than I am, but uh, we've roughly been hunting for a very long time uh, between the two of us, um, you know, ever since I was a kid and, and, uh, and you were talking about ever since you were a kid. Uh, and, and so, like, when you say something, you, you, where you have, you have decades of experience of being involved in the hunting community. So your voice has a lot more credibility than like my voice. I've only been per se in the hunting community, uh, as a, uh, I, I, what do you even call it? Like, I hate, I, I'm not an influencer. I don't feel like I, I, I hate that term. It's Diva. stupid. What's that? Diva. <laughs> yeah, Diva. I do like Diva. I do like Diva. Uh, I, I don't think you Diva should work, but I don't even like the fact that you discredited yourself because the fact that you felt strongly enough to 
voice your opinion and view on things. I, I don't think that 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 you're doing yourself justice there, Jim. So I'm going to disagree uh, harshly on that. Right there, there's folks that I don't I don't w- understand I don't understand what you're what you're disagreeing with. Say that again. The fact that that you don't have the same voice that Chris has. The fact, right, the right. fact that you, exactly. oh, the I fact see. that you started your podcast and you felt strongly enough about the values and how you see hunting and where you think hunting belongs on the landscape, I don't, I don't think you should discredit yourself. Yeah, and given I, the fact and that you're, uh, given the fact that you're now part of Eastman's, and I, I don't know what your downloads are, but I'll, I'll, I would bet strong money you're getting more followers and more downloads than I am on my podcast. There goes the diva part of it, Chris. I, oh man, now I really am a diva. I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't even. I, I don't even know. I, I I don't know what that uh, what that looks like. And like Eastman's I don't know how many downloads you you're getting. Eastman's yes. picks you up, so they don't pick up a bunch of shit, Jim. So, <laughs> well, they did because they picked me up. <laughs> yeah, well, no, okay. Say what you um, want, but yeah, no, you no I'm, I'm kidding. Don't, I, don't, I, don't I, downplay I, your effect. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But what I'm saying is the voice that I've been offering to the hunting community is, is only five or so years old versus, you know, Chris, you've, you've, you've been in this. I remember watching Chris Rowe videos um, when my kids were in diapers. And, and I, I remember, I remember, I remember these videos that just like, it, it was like, I, I had so many light bulbs go off in my head. And it's like, Oh, no shit, Jim. That's why elk don't die when they're in front of you. Um, I'm doing it wrong. You, you know what I mean? And and so that's what I'm saying is there's a lot of credibility that comes behind that. And so what I'm what I guess what I'm driving at is I think it's going to take voices like Chris and voices like mine and guys and voices uh, uh, again going back up the credibility chain like Aaron Snyder, you know, uh, and 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 then may, maybe back down the chain like Matt Ranella. Uh, all these people that have different perspectives, and even that Mike Costello guy that I had, he's he's pretty insightful. We don't agree on a, on some of the stuff, but I do think that he has something to offer from a sense of normalizing hunting to the non-hunting public, and and maybe maybe there's strategy there. And so what I'm saying is, is when he asked me who draws the line, my answer is all of us have to draw the line. There has to be a collective voice, and and we have to somehow develop some system of self-governance in, in, and I don't mean what I mean by that is maybe policing ourselves as to what we're posting, like quit glorifying uh, things on social media that make you as a hunter squirm a little bit, because if it makes you as a hunter squirm a little bit, that non-hunter that we are going to need, you know, whether it's through votes or just general support and, and a positive outlook on hunting, whether even though they're not hunters, we're going to need them. We're going to need them. And, and if, if we're making them squirm by uh, shooting a coyote point blank, that's got its foot stuck in a foothold um, that's, that's going to kick them right on over to the humane society of the United States. Cause they are going to make more sense to that non hunter than we are. And if, if I'm, if I might, Jim, the only thing I would disagree partly, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I, I for me personally, it's a qualification. I go back to the celebration of the ugly 
The, yes. The cel- yeah. The celebration. Because uh, again, you, you trap a coyote. We, yes, that needs to happen. I want to see trapping to mean remain a viable uh, to management tool. And and this is the other thing too that just I hate the the, the sterility of some of this stuff. And I, and I I hope I'm not a hypocrite in myself, but. You know, it's a viable management tool, Bob. Okay, yes, it is. But you know what? There's a lot of people that enjoy trapping. Like at at this point, you know, there is no fur market. I'm sorry. I, go, go go find a market for raccoon pelts right now. If you have one, sh- cup, sh- shut your mouth because yeah. if, if, there's there's more. Like n- <laughs> email me because I've got raccoons for you. But keep your mouth shut because we need to explore that that little tiny market (laughs) because everybody else is trying to find a market for it. And there is none. Even coyotes. Yeah, even coyotes. Like there's really no market for it. And I don't ever see our market that the fur market coming back. So trapping from a management standpoint is going to largely turn as a management tool and recreational tool, but it's not going to be a you know, the typical we trap because we need the furs, blah, blah, blah. No, you're going to trap because we need to kill these animals and I enjoy doing it. That's mm-hmm. fine. And I want to preserve that. And I want that to maintain, uh, be a part of the functioning consumptive use lifestyle. But we don't have to glorify the ugly. We don't have to celebrate. That, that's I'm glad you said that. That's that's a perfect point because that's that's I, I think what I was trying to articulate. But again, I um I don't articulate stuff as well as you do. So that the glorifying of it by, by putting the actual act of killing the, the, the trapped coyote on social media, I think is wrong on so many levels. But if, if they would have just taken a picture of a dead coyote, I don't know, man, that wouldn't bother me at all. And I don't think that would bother the general public uh, for the most part. Right, right, right. right. So, you know, and so, that's I don't know. That's my line. That's that's my in the world of Jim Huntsman. That's my line. It's like don't don't glorify the ugly parts of hunting because hunting is killing and it is a part of it. And you have to accept it. It's a, it's a responsibility uh, on on every hunter's shoulder that you need to take serious. It, it is an ugly uh, thing that we do when we're taken alive. What I'm saying is is we just don't need to glorify the ugly parts of it. Right. Exactly. Well, there's a, there's a, also an immense value for life that doesn't come across in those portrayals that you know at least the hunters that i roll with um hold near and dear you know i was talking about um the when are we going to realize what we're fighting against and and it's dr mark beckhoff right he writes for psychology today and there's i mean i remember reading some of his stuff years ago but just you know just what you were saying jim made me pull it up um, one of his articles, trophy hunters smile, show how much they like to kill. And he has an uh, essay. It's called the psychology of the thrill of trophy hunting. Is it criminal? Um, I want to see, can you please send me that freaking link? Yeah. I want to read that. And it is. Yeah, me too, man. When you look at, when you look at the research that these folks are doing, right. And, um, let me see. I just pulled this up. There is, uh, there's one, it's an essay called Understanding Hunter Satisfactions. And it was written by Alina uh, Schlud and Chris Darmount. And this is, I think, want to say 2015. And they they are going through social media and they're taking pictures and they're looking at the captions and they're looking at the responses to 
in aggregate, judge us, right? So if we don't realize what we are up against with these kind of posts, and this is the shit that drives me crazy. And again, I'm not a lifelong hunter. I've been doing it for some fucking years, but it didn't take me a ton of fucking time to realize what I was up against because of where I was at and the almost tiptoey nature in which I hunted because of the opposition and I didn't know how to approach it and express this is what I did and the values, things like that, that blossomed into something else and fucking here we are. My point being is we have to understand that those fucking posts work against the entire demographic. We owe it to one another. If we value this as much as we fucking say we value it, we have to try and put a lid on some of the bullshit and understand what we're up against. Because uh, good old Beck, PhD or Doc Beckhoff, he doesn't give a shit about our value set. He wants to expose how awful we are in our smiles. And who the fuck do you think that goes to? How many fucking hunters have read Psychology Today articles and or <laughs> Google, Google, Hunting psychology, and you will not, you, I guarantee you'll be on page 15 before you find something remotely fucking positive about what we're doing, right? So when people get upset about the conversation and you guys are off base or way back, I don't know, a year and a half ago, called me and Chris crotchety old men. And, and didn't fucking say <laughs> another word and didn't want to have a fucking conversation understand why we're talking about this shit they are studying us yes based and on us on social <laughs> fucking me they're not coming right. have, have any of these people ever come to you guys and said gentlemen let's sit down and have a conversation we don't get a fucking opportunity to talk about our value set the universal values the things that i hold the improvements in my life to my person they don't they are care not they're not interested in context. No, nope. not at all. And so, and here's the thing. What else have I said in the past? Oh my gosh. I love, I love this. I love this. It's, it is a longstanding psychological principle. Anyone can act like anyone they want to act like. They can pretend to be anyone they want to pretend to be like. You only react like your true self. When do you react? When your ass is in a corner. <laughs> when, 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 more importantly, when do you express your true self? You express your true self when you feel comfortable. You feel safe. You feel in a very accommodating and welcoming environment. Guess how many people create for themselves their own social media platform that creates a welcoming and very safe sensation in their social media platform. Everybody, that, that's what the silo is. So when you look at people posting stuff on social media, unless you are literally a psychopath, you are so you are you are posting things that mean something to you. And most of the time, if you have cherry picked your community to where you are surrounding yourself with those people that agree with you, think like you, give you accolades. You are going to feel like you're in a safe space and you are going to post things exactly how you feel. 
And so you are going to expose yourself <coughs> in, a, in a raw state. That's yep. why social media is a good, and I, it, there's some, there, you can have some controversy here. There's some debate here, but this is why so many people do think social media is a good research topic because people fall into the trap of being 100% their true selves. They expose the deepest layer of the psychology of that individual in their social media. And you nailed it, man. And can I can I throw in a quick point to to what Chris was just talking about in terms of why are you asking? This is this is your part three too. Man. Well, I, I you know Chris <laughs> Chris just flat up got and he he just like dropped the mic and walked off. I don't know where he went. <laughs> Just, just mic drop. All of a sudden, I don't know what I breathed in, but man, my lungs just came out and then I had to put them back. Oh. Uh, go ahead. No, I, I, I think um, I kind of lost my train of thought as to exactly what you said, but some of the negative reactions we've gotten for doing this series is because of a lot of what you just said and, and a lot of what Guy said in the first episode that we did where he was talking about how we say and do a lot of things in these echo chambers and we're just kind of preaching to the choir. And then along comes these three crotchety old dudes uh, that all of a sudden are going against the grain as to, you know, we're, we're going against the regular narrative that's been out there that frankly isn't working. Oh, hunting is conservation. Oh, hunters need to do this. And uh, yeah, you know, Oh, here's the science and uh, you oh. know, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and, and and so all of a sudden we come along and we start um, not not crushing that argument, but but questioning the argument and questioning the approaches that we've been taking for the last three decades that just frankly aren't working. We're getting our asses handed to us by by these groups that hate us and and these activist groups and and you know. I think that's why we got we've we've received some of the negative feedback. Now that said, negative feedback wise, that said, oh, yeah. the I, we always focus on the negative, right? Yeah, you, you never uh, nobody. It's in what I do for a day job. What I do for a day job, uh, it is much easier to get a negative review than it is to get a good review for the company, right? So um, we focus on that. I gotta say, the the amount of negative messages that i got is like one for every 10 positive message i got correct it, it really is and so i want to focus on that part too like there's a lot of people and chris i think it was you that was alluding to it a lot of people are uh do agree with what we're talking about and and it's that silent majority or whatever you want to call it but there's there, there's some contention coming out of these discussions but there's also some agreement and and that's the starting point as to well, let me. If you're if you're a listener, and and you're one of those folks who are like just blown away that somebody is questioning whether or not hunting is conservation, or you're upset at the tone, or you're upset at some of the stuff we're bringing up because it goes against the grain of what everybody else talks about all the time, really ask yourself: like, are are you giving this a listen from a standpoint of having an open mind and and really willing to? take this apart so that you can have a perspective that is much wider and, and much more holistic than just, um, Oh, well, I, I've, I, I've seen the websites where they say hunting is conservation, because if you, if you really research with an open mind, the anti-hunting 
stuff, they make a really good argument sometimes. Like they can really make a good argument. And so I am not saying that that thought process is right or wrong. What I am saying is if, if you're having a negative reaction to what we're talking about, really consider if you're, if you're open-minded about it. I mean, it's, it's something I think we, I don't know. I'm kind of mumbling at this point. Yeah. The, the, the problem uh, guys, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, guy. Go. No, I was going to address the, the hunting is conservation thing. You know, the problem. And as we've been going through this, the problem that, that I keep coming back to in my head is we're always focused on as hunters. I shouldn't say always I'm broad stroking folks. Um, don't send a bad email. Um, we're always focused on game species, right? Now, when, we, when you look at the model of wildlife conservation, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, that is about the landscape. That is about everything on that landscape, not just game species, right? Conservation is about all of that, right? It, it's the whole system, not just game species. Supposed to be. And we Supposed are always chomping on game species so i want people to understand and and please if i need to be corrected correct me then you can't just talk about what you're interested in hunting this season it has to be across the fucking board and we got to understand that it's there's more in depth than just deer well so are you of. talking about guy are you talking uh, nope. There's more to conservation than just like population numbers. Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is we focus on the animals we want to take. I'm going to jump behind RMEF because I'm fucking obsessed with elk. I got an elk right here behind me, right? I mean, that's not what it is. It's it's everything. It's everything. It's not just game species, right? And we focus yeah. on our opportunity with said animal whatever that hot button animal for is for us in the moment. But yeah. And I think what, what I was driving at is we, we, we just have to be honest about asking ourselves when we're talking, because I, again, I've said this in all three of these episodes, I do believe that there is an element of conservation from hunting. I do believe that I, and, and I'll Absolutely. argue for that. Absolutely. Hunting is conservation Sometimes I think is what how we we described it last time. But you got to ask yourself: some some hunting is conservation. Some hunting is conservation. I I, I love or, that. I no, really, sorry, like sorry. Some hunting pays for some conservation. Perfect. And and so what we have to ask ourselves when we're just running around throwing these bl blanket statements out is you know is or uh, hunting is conservation. Hunting is hunting is conservation to a non-hunter. When you're chasing a raccoon in a field with a baseball bat and trying to beat and bludgeon the thing to fucking death with the stupid country song in the background singing, well, you can fuck around and find out. You know, I don't know if you've heard that. That's a popular one on, on uh, some of these reels. I'm glad you have a podcast hey, and not are, an album, you, buddy. God, no, that was good. That was good singing, dude. I was right on key. But I, I mean, you got to ask yourself, oh, you can fuck around and find out. Boom. I'm but nailing this raccoon with a, how is that a baseball bat. Is that conservation? Fuck no. But how is that even associated with hunting? You know what I mean? Like that—that that is not apparently, dude. It's it's the, cons it's, the consumpt it's consumptive use. There you yeah. are. You're 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 killing an animal. I mean, that's the thing is, 
<clears throat> no, the I mean, raccoon fucked around and found out. <laughs> the reality of that thing is the video probably stopped because the jackass probably tripped and put his freaking rock through his teeth. He's the one that probably fucked around and found out. That's the thing. I've, yeah, I've messed I, I with so raccoons. I, I, I still to this day, as a stupid kid, I I did fuck around and fight. We thought it was going to be a cool idea that we wanted to go and take a, a raccoon out of a den tree in the winter. So we cut a hole. I, I'm, I'm hoping the statue. I know this I'm, is going. I'm, I'm hoping the statue of limitation <laughs> runs out. Otherwise, I'm incriminating myself. We cut a hole in a den tree, reached into the hole, and pulled the raccoon out. Now we thought because what we wanted to do is pull a raccoon out and, we, and put it in a cage. And we used the raccoon as a live training aid for our, uh, some coon hounds. So yeah. Our, our theory was, okay, we cut a hole. The ra- can you see? Yep, the raccoons are in there. Yep. All right. One of you reach in, grab the raccoon, pull the raccoon out, throw it in a bag, and, and the other person <laughs> holds the bag, holds the bag open. And we're going to just grab it, throw it, just grab it, chuck it in the bag before it can do anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> this, this was, oh, my this God. Was, this was right after Christmas because I had gotten a brand spanking new fancy old, you know, big metal watch, you know, like this big freaking honking thing. And at the time I had it on my right hand, I still got the scar. To this day, I still have the scar. I'll be damned. <laughs> I'm leading you. This is where it's going. So I, I'm like, I'll do it. So my my uncle grabs the, the, <laughs> the burlap sack, holds it open in his arms, Okay. I reach, I'm like, all right, I think his head, it, I'm looking at him, I'm watching this cat, raccoon just breathe because the sawdust is covered because the, the the chainsaw cut the whole, there's like a layer of sawdust on top of this raccoon now, okay? Now, what I didn't realize, there's like six raccoons in this freaking den tree, but we'll just, we'll skip that part. So the, 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 the sawdust is over the top of the raccoons, right? So I'm watching the, 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 the sawdust move up and down as they're breathing. And I'm like, okay, I think his head is there. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab him here. And I just chuck my hand in, grab what I thought was the back of his neck, the scruff of his neck. I got like maybe the side of his neck. And by the time when I grabbed the pelt, by the time I got my hand halfway out of that hole, he had turned around inside his own skin, wrapped all four paws around my arm, and commenced to absolutely destroy my wrist. The only, <laughs> only thing that saved my wrist was that brand spanking new watch that I got for Christmas. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. it. Like, it so, yeah, I, trust me. I, when hey, I, here's when the thing. When I'm, critical, when I'm critical of dumbassery in the sportsman sphere – it's because I've walked that path, my friends, and I and I yeah. look back and, I, and I look. I, I, that's a great point, man. I I, I, I have beat a jackrabbit to death with a baseball bat. I I, I don't. I, I'm not putting myself above it. No, and if I could, if I could look back on myself back then, I, I remember the things that I would I used to do. And here's the point I want to make with the reason why I brought this up. I remember being a young kid or a young adult doing stupid shit because I didn't uh, at the time I was not surrounded by people that that steered me in a direction that said that's not right. That's not acceptable. Or more importantly, that's bullshit. And I better never see you do that again. So my grandfather 
checked me in a couple places when I was youngster doing some things. It, we're, it's not that we're all above it. What we need in our lives, and I think what we need more in social media these days, are people that that have walked that path going, okay, I've been down the path you're on. It doesn't lead to a good place. Knock that shit off. That's not acceptable. And I think- how do, how do we do that, Chris, without them getting- defensive and and uh you know because that's what happens on social media is you can't, like i could that that video i was talking about with the kaya like i could reach out to that guy you know and be like hey man i i've done that I, you know I, I i i see where you're going with it but it's terrible for the hunting community like how, how do we do that without them flipping their shit well it's it's not gonna happen so this is my opinion this is just my opinion and <clears throat> guy uh earlier you asked me not to to skip over the the part where i said you know that i wasn't seeing us evolve into a better ethical you know type of l- let's let's tie that in because I, yep. what i would like yeah, to perfect. do him to answer your question is to refer back to the two videos i sent you the one of the prairie dogs versus the one of the fishermen okay Mm-hmm. And, and and I compared and contrast those two, and I ask you to look at them and look at the comments. And so I'll, let me get to that a minute, because because what's your question? And this is this is my angst, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna address what you just you asked. How how do we get there? So part of the issue that I have is I'm just not watching, and, I, and Aaron and I talked about this. I'm just not seeing our community <clears throat> providing mentorship because there's some very very. You guys sent me a couple of guy you sent me, I think, uh, or one of you sent me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There are some very popular, very prominent social media personalities. Like I'm talking massive followings, massive influence that are just getting busted for illegal stuff that are Mm -hmm. involved with all sorts of egregious shit. Okay. We're going to need people of that size, that social media influence size to start setting the tone and, and, and showing a better way for those people that aspire to be like those influencers, if you will, the social media giants, they can look at it and say, you know what, this person's making a good case. This, I, I think, you know, slowly make a change in the culture that way, because there's going to be some people that are be like, you know what, Chris, piss off, F you, double middle fingers. I, I don't give a shit, blah, 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 blah. There's people that are yelling in their phone right now that are saying we're full of shit. And you, maybe we are, but most likely there's probably some balance in there somewhere, but some of these people may not even be receptive to it at all. But it's the community that has to slowly evolve. It's not going to change overnight. Aaron and I talked about the difference between Eastern whitetail and Turkey and upland bird hunters and Western public land hunters and, and compared and contrast the two in just, to, I don't want to, I'm not going to do the same talk that we did with Aaron, but people can listen to his, but <clears throat> the issue is there has been an evolution in the value set of many Midwest, Eastern, Southern, and Texas hunters, whitetail hunters. in the fact that they wrap that they get behind the idea of let them go so they can grow. So we don't see, <clears throat> As many people these days just shooting a, a spike or a two by two or a little basket rack buck or whatever, the culture 
whether you were a member of Quality Deer Management Association back in the day or not, um, the culture has slowly shifted to where there is a there's an intrinsic value now for many whitetail hunters to participate in actual management of herds rather than just killing animals. I want to be a part of the management of the herd. So I want the herd to have a better age class structure. I want to have the herd to have a better sex ratio. So I'm going to not shoot this young buck. I'm going to let him pass. And so maybe I can shoot him two, three, four years down the line and shoot a bigger buck. And if I need to put meat in the freezer, I will engage in doe management in places where we need to do doe management. That's been a cultural shift. It's it's been full of its its ups and downs and rocky roads and and freaking vehement public meetings and just angst and just anger and everything else. But over time, the big social media or the big TV influencers, the big YouTube influencers, those people that had big platforms adopted that ideology. Then they practiced that ideology. They showcased that ideology and they talked about why the ideology. And more and more people started to get on board with, you know what, that's actually a good point. That actually makes sense. And the people that tried it saw the benefit of it. Does I think it, we're going to have to have the, Go ahead. Sorry. Does that stem from the lack of public access? Is that- Oh, yeah, okay. Put a- That's a- That's a- So that's a five-hour conversation Aaron and I had. So okay. that we, we need to put a pin in that one. So I, I tell you what, wait until the wait until Aaron and I's podcast comes out. And if you want to dive into it again, absolutely, let's do it. Because I did. I made the case. I'm like, quite honestly, I'm getting disgusted about the Western public land hunter is is essentially these days a, a welfare baby. And woo! <laughs> I, I <laughs> you want to talk about raising eyebrows? But it but so, it makes but it makes sense that that care put it, put it, for the landscape oh that's put, a hard one to put a pin in, in bro it's, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a massive conversation it's okay. a massive conversation dude let's save that one right <clears throat> because that rabbit hole is going to take us for the next six hours all right but here's the point i'm making jim to you so i i we talked about that with aaron but then it come it come across from my feed and i sent to you guys if you look at the fishing community Okay, they're 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 still part of the sportsman community. We we get so I could show you an example of where culture shift has happened within whitetail hunters, but it's not everyone. Not everybody embraces it, and it gets bastardized from time to time. But the general culture now has shifted a fair degree in the whitetail world. The same thing goes to the fishing world the sportsman community within the angling world whether we're talking warm water or cold water fresh water or salt water you look at the cultural shift of proper catch and release number one the the amount of catch and release back in the day where it was just you catch everything and you keep it and you whatever now it's it's largely a culture of catch and release to the point where if you actually want to keep a fish, like you've got to justify what the freaking hell you're doing, keeping a fish, like what the fuck are you doing? Keeping a, 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 you know, like seriously, it's gotten to the point where the culture in the fishing world of catch and release 
has become massively ingrained, but more importantly, massively ingrained, the quality and mechanism by which you, how you release the fish is now paramount. So I sent you that this, this picture came across my uh, Instagram feed or or real. Somebody caught a taman. It's a type of freshwater. Some, I think it's salmon. It's it's related to uh, salmon, I believe. I'm not a fish squeezer, so I don't know these things. But anyway, a taman, I think it's in Russia and, and some of the other places over there. Um, there there's It's like a steelhead. Imagine a, a fish similar to a giant steelhead, okay? <clears throat> so this guy catches this taman, and it's a freaking smoker. It's it's an uh, – I mean, it is a freak. If you want to call a trophy a trophy or whatever, this thing is a giant. It's a trophy, Okay. So he lands it, pulls it in, and he's taking the pictures, and everything's hunky-dory. And the guy goes to release it. Now, the river that he's fishing in is a big, wide, cold water river, okay? Just cold water, and it's got a bunch of just cobbles and just – he is literally like, I I don't know, like 20, 30, 40 yards towards the the dry land portion of the riverbank. And he's got like 20, 30, 40 yards of just cobble before it gets to the deep water. And the and the water's like three inches deep. He sets this taming back in the water and he's like, you know, basically, I don't remember what he says, but he just works with it. He's like, be free and just let, you know, just releases this thing back. And this fish has to strut like his, he releases the fish. And gently releases the fish, but this where he released the fish is this fish is just struggling to get through the cobble and keep water over. It just it's flowing, flowing, and flounder and flounder, struggling, getting just weaseling, and it makes its way. It like gets stronger and stronger, and makes its way into the water and swims off. And on the on the reel, they're like, "Yeah, that was awesome, glorified." You go to the comments, and this guy got eviscerated. Like someone reached up his butthole grabbed it, turned it inside out and shoved it back down his throat. Like every comment was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, can you do a a worse release? Can you have some care about the fucking fish? Couldn't you just walk like 10 steps closer to the deep? Like, like all the, like, like 80, 90 plus percent of the comments were just ripping the guy. It wasn't about, oh, that was an awesome fish you caught. It wasn't about all oh, that. That would be awesome. What a bucket list. And this would be, it'd be great to go. Everybody was like, what the fuck did you just do? You slob ass hunter or this, excuse me, slob ass fisherman. You, you couldn't even release the fish correctly. You piece of shit. We see, I start diving into fishing communities and you see how fast and how vicious the fishing community gets with its own members at just bullshit releases. Like someone goes and catches a big tarpon, lifts it out of the water, takes a picture and sets it right back in the water. And you watch how many people are like, you motherfucker, you do realize that's illegal, right? You fucking just killed the fucking goddamn fish. You piece of shit. Leave the goddamn thing in the water. I'm like the, the fishing community is a good example of a cultural shift of culture policing its own of now there's still like, sorry, I, I jumped policing its own unacceptable behavior. 
Now, granted, there are still people out there in the fishing community that don't release fish properly, mishandle fish or whatever. And you can see those pe- those those videos or those pictures on social media. But go to you, guy, going to your psychology paper. If those psychologists went and looked at those posts and used those from a study, what would they come back with? They would come back with a completely different fundamental feel for the community of fishing based on the comments. They would say, oh, this guy caught this fish and he released it this way. But apparently that guy fucked up because 987 comments out of the 1,100 ripped that person a new asshole because they were an inconsiderate, unethical, slob fisherman that didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground and shouldn't even be carrying a freaking fly rod, let alone being on the river, you piece of shit. Next time, freaking put that fish in the water properly. Conversely, they would have a field day with ours because I've, I, and I'll just say it, there was a, a picture, I think it was floating around this year with a deer arrowed in the head and people are oh, yeah. questioning that. And the defense was, well, it's dead. Really? Like, okay. They keep that shit to a yourself. week later, you know, yeah. but, but the defense on, on the opposite side of what the fishermen are doing. And it yeah, is but, just, but look at look at the look at the contrasting video I sent you of the prairie dogs. Well, y- yes, sir. <laughs> but, yeah. So you're so you're going to go out into the prairie dog colony. You're going to put up a gro- GoPro camera on a burrow entrance, on a little tripod. Then you're going to backtrack to wherever your shooting platform is, and you're going to wait until. That prairie dog, a prairie dog, comes out of that particular burrow. So the GoPro camera is 18 inches from the prairie dog. And then you're going to shoot the prairie dog with a high frangible bullet and watch it explode. And then high five and laugh and hoop and holler. And this is the greatest thing ever because you got to watch this meat, this little meat pocket explode in the air. Now, I don't care what you think about prairie dogs. I've talked about prairie dogs in the past. Anybody wants to have a conversation with me about prairie dogs, prairie dog management, behavior, et cetera, and why animal activists love them so much, let's have a discussion, an in-depth discussion, because that literally is my professional career as a consultant. The vast majority of what I did in my professional career from 2000 until 20. Oh, shit, I did a I did a project last year till now has been dealing with blacktail prairie dogs, Gunnison's prairie dogs, whitetail prairie dogs, et cetera. I know prairie dogs. So you're you're going to, I don't care what you think about prairie dogs. Do you think the average general public finds it acceptable? Not, I don't even care if they, I'm, I'm not even asking you if they think it's a, it's enjoyable, like you, some people enjoy those videos. Do you think it's even just baseline acceptable to show that shit? But again, in our world, no. we we live we live in our silo. We we believe, and this goes back to to Jim. What you asked: Are hunters open minded? <clears throat> and and our hunters no, because if I said for a second that we need to 
before a prairie dog hunter, somebody wants a prairie dog shooter because you're not hunting prairie dogs. You're not doing anything with them. You're just killing them. You're just shooting them. You're just shooting them, killing them, and leaving them. No one's going out there recovering the carcass. No one's out there taking the meat. No one's out there taking the hide. No, you're, you're not doing anything other than just shooting them. And, and I will debate you if you want to talk about your managing numbers, but that's fine. For right now, you're not, you're not doing anything with them other than killing them, okay? And we can have a debate on destructive rodent pests and blah, 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 blah. That's fine. But if I suggested to anybody that goes out and likes to do prairie dog shoots, that we might want to sit down and, and have a conversation with the prairie dog activist groups or the prairie dog conservation groups or advocacy groups or animal activists, animal lovers, anti whatever. If we want to sit down and have a conversation, do you think for a second anybody would want to sit down with them and, and have a conversation? Hell no. Do you think people that are act, avid and, and passionate prairie dog shooters listening to me right now give two shits? about what I'm saying about my criticism, but possibly about that. Nope. 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 If you, oh, if you even suggest that you sit down across, you sit down at a table across from an animal activist or, or an anti hunter and sit and listen to them and, and listen to them, articulate their position, why and what, and what they feel. And, and, and then, and then you listen and not only you listen, you extend, this is my credit. This is my criticism. Any sort of empathy, any sort of understanding, any sort of ethical consideration in their direction? Oh, hell no. How, how many sportsmen do that right now? Like, look at the bear issue. Like, this is the thing that drives me absolutely batshit crazy. And, and I saw this from the conservative side of the equation as well. This is what got me so pissed off with sportsmen's politics in, Col in Colorado that even the quote-unquote conservative, quote-unquote, minded Sportsmen's groups were just idiots. They, they, they just, they could not see the future. All they could see was their selfish interests right in front of their face. And they acted emotionally and selfishly and egregiously showed no empathy, no ethical consideration, no understanding and fucked themselves. But we had an opportunity in Colorado to pull back some of the bear, bear hunting restrictions in the state. And because of the arrogance and the short-mindedness and just the, the bullshit of literally a conservative-minded sportsman effort, because it was conservative sportsmen's groups, quote-unquote conservative sportsmen's groups, and I, and I put that in air quotes because they were, no, they were progressive. They were right-leaning progressive ideology people that were sportsmen's groups that led the charge to pedal back some of the bear restrictions, bear hunting restrictions in the state. We actually had some very prominent Democrat uh, legisl state legislators from Aspen and Vail, women legislators, strong leftist environmental Democrat legislators. They were from some of the most left-leaning, hard-left areas of Colorado. We're having so many bear issues in their towns and in their communities that they in themselves realized we've got to do something different. So they were the leftist, freaking worst, freaking environmentally leaning, just freaking egregious 
left-leaning politicians in the state were on board with making positive change to open some bear hunting opportunities in Colorado. And the frickin' sportsmen couldn't even get out of their own goddamn way. And they said, well, if they want to support this, we want all of it back. We want baiting. We want dogs. We want spring. We want fucking all of it. We're going to take, we're going to overturn the frickin', we're going to take it all back. And guess what? The frickin' public went, the fuck you will. When they could have gone in and said, let's have a conversation. I don't know. Um, we want like all of this. But if we thought for two seconds about the public, about the, the policies, about just the general nature of this entire state, we we kind of should, should accept the fact we've got a fucking pipe dream here. Like you're getting it all back. No, you're not going to get it all back. You damn well know you're not going to get it all back. But we have some of our biggest adversaries coming to us saying, what can we do to, to reduce bear populations? <gasps> um, okay, let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what? Let's leave spare spring bear off the table. We don't need spring bear. Um, I tell you what, let's go ahead and leave hound hunting off the table. We don't need hound hunting, right? Let's just leave that off. How about this? Let's ditch the uh arbitrary start date of September 2nd. And let's say, um, uh, since you guys are having so many problems in late July and early August and through the month, how about we do this? How about we simply remove the legislative language from the start date on bear seasons and we allow the Division of Wildlife to set the start date in certain units for bear season? She, they they would have lacked, they would have wrapped their little they would have wrapped their entire body around that and they're like yes we can sell that and then you turn around and say you know what the other thing too given the fact that a lot of these bears are coming into these communities because they're finding human food it is going to be difficult to hunt these animals away from these areas so how about we do this let's craft some language that for these areas where we need bear management we allow restrictive, limited baiting. That way we can get the bears away from the residential areas. We can get the bears away from, from your communities and then we can affect a meaningful harvest. Do you think we, we based on my communication with those people, we could have had that win. We, they would have, they, not only would they have, have embraced it, they, as Democrats, as leftist Democrats in a Democrat-controlled Cong uh, uh, state Congress, would have taken that and they would have made the platform and they would have taken it to the Democrat governor who would have signed it. We could have had two meaningful wins if we had simply stopped and listened to what the issues were, empathized with the communities at large, and then said, what can we do to meet you partway? Nope. Fuck them all. We hate them. We want all our bear shit back. Well, guess what? We got nothing. Zero zip. Those individuals dropped their sponsorship and abandoned it like fucking wildfire because they knew their constituents were no way in hell ever going to support spring bear hunting and hound hunting. We could have had a win, but we didn't.
So my point being with Washington, when we hear people just railing against this, at some point, I want to hear a sportsman-led podcast, a sportsman-led discussion that demonstrates that the sportsman community has actually sat down and listened to what the anti-movement is actually arguing. And then I want to hear from the sportsman community mouth where the sportsman community either can empathize with their sentiment, understand where they're coming from, and then show some understanding and some mechanism by which the sportsman community says, I hear you. I see. I understand where you're coming from. You are over here. We are over here. How can we meet in the middle, or how can we work to how can we work to address and allay your fears? I was the the podcast you just sent to me today, guy. That's where some of them were going to go to. They were talking about the the argument of the recreation be uh, you know recreation hunting versus management hunting and how it's such bullshit and and, and just it's absolutely ludicrous that people under they're they're completely not even paying attention to really understanding where recreation hunting actually comes. It's not that we just want to go out and there have fun and just shoot shit. It's actually a, a, a you're full of shit. You stop right there. You're full of shit. I don't give a shit what mental gym. If if you're going to do those mental gymnastics, I want to see you in the next Olympics. Maybe it's going to be the special Olympics. I don't give a shit. I want to <laughs> see you in the fucking Olympics because the mental gymnastics that you're doing to try to justify where recreation doesn't really mean recreation in the contents of the North American model. Wild, right, forever, blah, blah. It's, it's really recreation. It's not the recreation that you find in the dictionary that the 99% of the population thinks. Come on, man. When you sit there and you define it as recreational hunting, what about what about on on that note, Chris, with with Washington? Because I, I, I again, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but it's hard to think about being empathetic to that side when the entirety of the science community promoted and advocated for a bear season in the spring in Washington and the commission still went against it. And, and so it's like, right. I, uh, right. I but don't, but, but you, but these guys and others have, have made the case and, and shown that, okay, the commission has been stacked <clears throat> with people yep. that are not that, that again, it's, it's pointless to argue facts and logic to people that have no fucking value for facts and logic. So the do sportsman think, community. Do you, they, do you think that they would uh, value the more empathetic approach? Like when they're, I mean, literally some of the commission members in the state of Washington are like actual animal activists. Yes. And so they, you think that they would value and listen to hunters coming at it from more of an emotional place and, and like, how would you approach it? You you did a good job explaining the Colorado situation, but like Washington spring bear, how would you approach that? So, okay. So fair point. I, I don't give, and this is, I'm not saying this in a malicious standpoint. I have no future that I know of right now. I know, but let's say you, let's say, let's say you moved to Washington and it was was an issue. I I don't, okay. I need to qualify this. Because I am not up there and I have no any I have no inkling of ever having a future up there, 
I have not paid attention to all the details of everything going on in Washington. What I have been paying attention to is the surface level sportsman reaction to. So I don't know what's going on. With, I, I, I know some, well, let me say it. I know some of the players at the commission. I know, uh, and their motivations. I know some mm-hmm. of the activist uh, contingent players in the equation. And I know what I'm hearing from some of the, some of the sportsman contingency. Okay. So I don't have all the details, but what I do have is a good feel that the same type of attitudes and sentiment that are, that are manifesting themselves in the social media atmosphere that it's, that's, that's coming across my feed is the same level of bullshit that crossed the same level of legislative body in Colorado, and we lost. At some point, what, what's the adage? You know, a, a smart man learns from their mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Like, why mm-hmm. the fuck are we do, do we not have a lot more wise sportsmen on the landscape? So, to your point, some of those people in the commission, yes, probably would be swayed. And this, and I'm I'm using this from my experience dealing with, again, when you're dealing with blacktail prairie dogs on the front range of Colorado, that you, you're hard pressed to find a more controversial wildlife species to deal with. People either love them or they hate them. People either want to bulldoze them under the ground and gas them and poison them and blow them up or whatever. And there's other people that are going out there every day and feeding them because they are their connection to nature. Literally. So when you have shit, man, I didn't realize prairie dogs were such an issue there. (laughs) Black tail prairie dogs on the front range of Colorado. You have these small pockets of of populations that pop up or or get isolated by development. Mm -hmm. And there's apartment buildings around it. The only nature that these people see are the prairie dogs and the birds and the rabbits and everything else that are out on that. that, And it's literally nothing more than a vacant dirt lot. It's a vacant dirt lot that's phase five you know, at a five phase development, it's going to be developed someday. It's only been neglected because there's no money to complete the, the fucking development, excuse me, the, the development. So it's a, it's a vacant dirt lot covered in weeds and prairie dogs. And that is the only connection that those people have to nature on a daily basis. Oh, and by the way, it happens to be one of the most intricate, complex social creatures on the landscape that has a, an incredible vocal, you know, vocabulary, incredible behavior uh, displays. And it, it, they're an amazing creature to as a watchable wildlife resource. So I'm I'm bring, I'm taking my experience from what I saw in Colorado with sportsman's issues. And I'm taking my direct experience of more than 20 years of dealing with controversy wildlife issues on the ground with prairie dogs. And I'm telling you right now. If you show fucking two ounces of empathy and consideration and understanding and listen to the other side and then even make it seem like you even give a tiny shit, you're going to go a hell of a lot longer, a farther way. And here's the other thing, too. Taking small wins, a tiny win and whatever it is, and then using that win and then having sportsmen demonstrate how good it was, how great that thing was, that tiny little win. Oh, it was the greatest thing that could have ever been done because guess what? These commissioners are not going to be the commissioners forever. They're going to be changed in, changed out, changed in. And if you can show that 
Sportsmen are players on the landscape and sportsmen are understanding and sportsmen are willing to be. And you just in the progressive movement, animal activists will always try to take as much as they can as fast as they can. But they are masters at just whittling at little things, little things, little things, little things. I, I swear sports, that's to get us to capitulate, right? Because it is. It you're is. just going to get and more so we, the fuck sportsmen down. At some point have got to take a lesson from that and say, okay, we're going to take a little win, a little win, a little win, a little win. And rather than punching people down the freaking throat that they don't agree with, how about you actually sit down at the table and say, okay, what are your concerns? What are your concerns? If their concerns are absolutely abject bullshit, that's one thing. And if the, and if the scientific community is on, on your side uh, or, uh, is on one side, that's one thing. Most of the time, the science, the agency and the scientific community are, are mute. They present and that's literally where their advocacy goes. Yeah. So if you're going to argue an issue again, it is pointless to argue facts and logic with people that do not have a value for facts and logic. So if you want to use facts and logic, statistics and management and harvest and this, that, and blah, 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 the other thing to make your argument for this bear hunt, you're going to lose because the people on the other side don't give a shit about that stuff. They're worried about mothers with cubs and they're worried about the unethical blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, they proved that. They, I mean, that that whole thing. What you said—that's basically that's exactly what happened. The science, the the scientists didn't come at them with opinions. The the scientists came at them with what it is. Hey, it's a robust population, state of Washington. Well, I think the hard part, the hard part with that is there is no, there's nowhere to compromise because it's not like they were trying to do away with a slew of things. It was either, hey, have a spring bear season or don't have a spring bear season. And so it's, it's hard to think about coming at that. Well, where's our compromise? Because here's one. What would it be? How about we do a pilot study rather than turning this? I I don't know how big of an area they're talking about in Washington, like turning all of Washington over to spring bear or just the, the Olympic peninsula or just, I don't know, but how about this? If it's no, getting, no spring bear, no spring bear in the entirety of the state, and it was already a limited draw. Okay, but they're arguing they want a spring bear season. Yes, hunters are. Yep. Yeah, for for a limited area of the state or the entire state. Well, uh, I think that uh, what the discussion is is the entire state does not have spring bear hunting anyway, but it, it was already a limited draw. Uh, and so it was I know, only I, I, Jim. It's it's limited draw for fall hunting. That that the the, the advocates. No, no, are, no. The 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 spring bear was was a limited draw, and that's what they did away with. Fall. I I okay. well, I could be wrong. I think fall bear is is a See, uh, over the counter. Okay, so this is this is why I have not wanted to talk of this conversation because I I don't know the details. But let's let's make this. Yeah. My my understanding is they want to open up spring bear hunting. And, and my, my impression has been that it's statewide. Yes. It, well, it is. So okay. they're not trying to open it up. It, it was open and the commission voted to end it. And Understood. so they're, they're trying to get it back. Makes okay. sense now. Okay. okay. But the argument for getting it back is there is ample numbers of bears and they are not getting adequate someone made the case that they were not getting adequate harvest in the fall. Is that correct? Yes. 
Okay. So you want to increase heart. So the agency's making the claim that we've got a shit ton of bears. Mm-hmm. That we're not getting adequate harvest in the fall. Or, or we're, 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 the harvest. The harvest. I don't would know be- that it was put that way, actually. Now that you say it that way, I don't think it was put that we're not getting adequate harvest in the fall. The argument was the commissioners and other activist groups came and said, hey, you know, spring bear hunting is wrong because the bears are super lethargic, just waking up out of hibernation, and there's a chance that you can kill lactating sub or uh, lact. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say uh, yeah. <laughs> lactating sows. Yeah, um, right. you know, and and right. which happen to be like less than 002 percent of actual bears taken, which is also the same statistical right. number of the actual population that was taken. Oh, right. it was only like a little over a hundred bears that were killed during the Washington spring bear. Right. Okay. So if they, if they know that this this commission is compromised, if they know or or they they believe that this commission is compromised, and if if they know that they are are up against a wall and 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 it it's going to be this massive fight and this massive this struggle. You know, there's one thought of, and this is what uh, you know you hear see on Howl.org and everyone else where rally, rally, rally. We need to flood the Capitol and we just need to have everybody show up and just pack the room and we're all in support of this. And, and we make such a, a fundamental show of support and force that the commission looks at this and goes, okay, yeah, th- this is something that is highly valued in the, the community. And so we will, we will vote for it. Now that is a valid, that is a valid uh, uh, approach. However, I'm skeptical based on my experience and, and, call it reverse psychology or whatever you want. I don't give a shit. I'm skeptical that they're going to pack the house come that commission meeting. Like it needs to be, it needs to be where there's no more parking and the line of people that want to testify on behalf of making this legal or, or opening this back up, uh, 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 madam chair or, you know, chairman, uh, so-and-so blah, blah, blah. Uh, we just have to let you know that uh, we have 1,500 people here today that wish to testify in favor of this. Uh, they're stacked outside. The The line to testify in favor of this goes out the door. Like, that's what you're yeah. going to that's what you're going to need. I'm skeptical so, that you're going to get that. Oh, I am, too. I, I But it is. You do sign up for a, a position to speak that is I, – I believe it's actually happening this week, right? Yeah. Here's here's the other side of it because you're, you're talking about coming to these uh, anti-spring bear hunting folks, whether they're activists or commission members or whatever because, uh, you, you know, it's a mix of both, um, where we approach them with some kind of compromise or empathy towards their cause. Uh, what about – or how would you respond to – I invited the most vocal anti-spring bear hunting commissioner to come on my show. And her response was, I think people have already made up their mind. So I don't see a point. Thanks anyway. What do we do with that? Like I'm, I'm at legitimately, what do we do with that kind of response? How it's like a roadblock every time you turn around. I don't mean to make this whole thing about uh, Washington spring bear. Cause there's, uh, you know, this is just one example. You know what I mean? We could, we should move on, but do you have, do you have uh, like an, a, some insight as to, 
I like I didn't even respond. I was pissed. The, in my opinion, that's what I, I don't know how you respond to her privately because quite honestly, privately privately becomes irrelevant. Publicly, yeah, th- this I, was just an email. So pub- publicly, I would hope that somebody would be in there and be like, "All right, uh, ma'am, do you, as the commission, have faith? Does the wild, the current wildlife commission, have faith in the competency of the agency you oversee? Yes or no? Oh, I like that, man. That's if pretty you, good." It put them I know on the where spot. you're going with it. Do yeah. you have confidence in their their? Do you have confidence in their competency? Do you yeah. have? Oh, yes or no? Yes, we do. Okay, you you say you do. Is there anything? If oh, you, I wasn't saying yes to that. I I was just I, I was no, listening to you. And no. was, okay, go ahead. Know, go ahead. I know. I know. I know. Yes or no? Get their answer. If they say no, oh. Oh, game on! Because now the agencies will be like, "Oh, motherfuckers, really? Okay, fine, fuck you all." I mean, you're going to have some really issues then. But if they yeah. say yes, if they say yes, we do. Then you say, "Okay, if the agency, this is from sportsmen, okay, the agency is not allowed to do this. They're not going to be able to do this." Sportsman, somebody that has the, some some. Some prominent sportsman member that has the credibility and has the reputation of being even keeled and even minded, even tempered, emotionally mature, intellectually mature. This is why we this is why I tell people, sportsmen, you need to freaking spend the money and get freaking lobbyists and attorneys. But yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. Um that, you have I someone that, come up there that would say, make a big difference, man. And that's that's where. I mean, that is fighting fire with fire. And I don't right. want to put that, I, I don't want to like put that commissioner on blast. I won't even say Lorna Smith's name, but um, <laughs> I digress. Okay. Uh, so, here's, so, Jim, the, let me the, the, when they refuse to talk to the people that are, are putting this information out there, it's like hard to come up with compromises and okay. actual conversations. Of course, of course. Again, you're trying to. I'm sorry. I'm not trying. I'm, man, I'm really not no, trying. No, no, no. We don't need to make this whole thing about that. I, no, I, I, I know. The, the frustrating thing is, is the people that are involved, and this is what I saw when I was there, and I'm guilty of it, guys. Okay, everybody, I'm guilty of it. The, I, I'm guilty of it. I was that cocky kid that walked in and was like, fuck a bunch of this, and I'm going to be – I was that firebrand. And like I told you, I was either loved or hated. I was loved because I was carrying the actual righteous message forward. I was hated because I was the guy that I give zero shits. And, and there, I learned hard lessons on, you know what? These people have lobbyists. These people are there every day. There's, there's going to have to be some nuance. There's going to have to be some politicking. There's going to have to be some emotional maturity. And quite honestly, you've got to understand, this is why I hammer all the time. If sportsmen want to get involved with sportsmen's politics, you better be a, you better learn and understand personality. You better, Jim, you are doing it. I will shake your hand the first time I, next time I see you, you are undergoing the, going down the road and reading Thomas Sowell's a conflict of visions. You're learning about how other people think. Go to Peterson's understandmyself.com. Understand, not just take the personality course for yourself. Take your test. Take his course, understanding personality. Yeah, Where are they coming from? What are they motivated? So you understand how to talk to them. Have private conversations, Jim, like what you had is pointless because they can discard it. 
But when they are in a public meeting on record, this is where you have the, you ask them, do you have confidence in your commission? Yes or no? Yet, or, or your agency? Yes. Okay, your agency is saying that this is something that is that we can do that is important for the that, that is that could be an important tool in the management toolbox. And the, the other side is rightfully, this is the thing. The other side is not full of shit. You have tired, lethargic bears coming out of a out of a a, a, a den. How is that fair chase? In the in the mind of a non-hunter, how is it actually fair chase to chase an animal to kill it that is psychologically and physically not at it operating on 100 percent? You know, on that point, I, I'd be super curious to know how long because I, I do a lot of spring bear hunting and they're never tired and lethargic. Okay, but I don't hunt them well, they, coming they right cited, out of the den. They cited in that I was as you guys were talking, they cited uh, a sow with cubs and okay. cub mortality uh, being okay. a concern yeah. with with this. This is a major okay. point. I just read through three things, and that okay. was the point. And so, so they bring that up, and most hunters want to dismiss, 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 dismiss. When you dismiss someone's premise. Just some, did you when you dismiss someone's concern or or their issue, if you just dismiss it, do you think they're going to be more receptive or less receptive to to continue to listen to what you have to say? Yeah, less receptive. The, for the, sure. re, the reality is this, and I know sportsmen don't like it, and I know the statistics of harvest show that the likelihood of a of a hunter killing a sow with cubs is extremely low but it ain't fucking zero is it right. no nope. so went in that meeting and were like listen we understand their concern and honestly that is a concern for us that's why we do this 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 and education training this is what we do this is how we do it this and we we go down and you show empathy you show understanding and you show commonality with a level of concern hold on hold on there it is right there right the common we're so fucking fragmented because how many of the orgs or three letter agencies that were involved in this on our side weren't sitting and having different discussions or offering different viewpoints. I'm sorry to cut you off like that, but when you said it, no, it was go, like no, the, man. the fragmentation of us as sportsmen and, and our voice, we're not coming to the table, right? So, you know, listening to all that, it, it brought me to, you know, I always said, I, I fixing me before I assert the blame, right? You got to look at the fucking man in the mirror. If I can't look at the man in the mirror, meaning the sportsmen, the sportsmen's groups, and come to the table collectively, do you think that the Humane Society and and that what's that one that they created behind this uh, Washington for Wildlife First? Do you think they're not fucking talking? Do you think they're not coming to the table? They're not fragmented in their cause. And that's the frustration I have when I, when I hear it, right? It's just like, okay, so how many fucking orgs were involved in that or trying to have their piece of the pie with it and we stayed fucking fragmented? We never got a voice. We can never sit down and we're fucking certainly not wholeheartedly, truly, in my opinion, looking at the man in the mirror to understand how we, we've been doing this shit for decades, for decades. How do the we become, how do we become defragmented? 
how do we become defragmented? Because I, I agree with that guy. I think that that's, that's, if you, if you were to compare oh, apples to apples, the, the anti-hunting organizations versus hunting organizations, <laughs> I mean, it's a fucking shit show. I walked away. I had to walk away. There, like I said, it's a shit show. You give you a fucking headache. Banging your head against a brick wall. At some point, you got to take care of your own mental health I, and your you, own. Brain. Yeah, you know, Jim. To answer to answer that, I, I I don't have an answer, and that's why I've been I've been digging these conversations because I think this is part of it, right? And, and how do we get I think, to the- I think it is. And I, I think that, like, we, we need to start involving other people into these con- kinds of conversations. That, you know, that, again, um, I didn't know shit about Matt Rinella other than what I heard on uh, Blood Origins. And I thought, I thought, man, that is just, that is like crazy shit. You know, what he's talking it's, about. It's that is never going to happen. It's not realistic. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I, but I get him on the show and me and him can have this conversation. I still think that it's totally unrealistic and never going to happen, but that's fine. Right. The, and I'm just using this as an example. How do we get, how, how do we get to a point of defragmentation because among the hunting ranks? And I am not talking about the, Oh my God, I've been shooting a two forty three my whole life and you, you can kill an elk with it. And then the next guy's going, you better not be shooting elk with a two forty three. That ain't big enough gun. Yeah, you know the, that typical argument that you see on social media. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I am talking about these vast different. You know, the, the hunters are a diverse group, and so so how do we develop if even if we were twenty percent as organized together as the anti-hunting organizations are, we would be more effective than the anti-hunting organizations because we have the support of the general public for the most part. We have the history. We have the, a lot of the science is on our side. We have all these things on our side, but we fuck ourselves over. But what, where and, does and, the, and where it, does the science, where does the science matter if they're going to ignore it like they did in Washington? Totally. I totally agree. And that was to Chris's point where it's, you can't argue emotion with facts and data and, and, and uh, Chris, Jesus, you explain that you're a lot more articulate. So how do we, so how do we come to the table understanding that we've been in this fight for decades, right? And we keep, to Chris's point, he always has a good point, Jim. Um, We keep arguing facts and logic and science Right with people who don't give a fuck. We we are playing the same. Well, we need, we game. need to stop. We we need to stop arguing facts and science because it, it, again we have that in our back pocket, and that is what we can present to like the general public because the general public will care about that. Activists don't. And and uh, one thing that I I really liked uh, about what Mike Costello said when he was on my show is we don't need to justify hunting through conservation. That, that is not – I think that we sometimes get to this point where it's like our only argument is the facts and the science and the fact that hunting is conservation. Right. Well, we've determined that only some hunting does some conservation for some things. And so that aside, even if hunting were not conservation 100 percent, we we don't have to justify hunting through conservation. And I think that that's what we need to kind of come together as and present – it's it's a human thing. It's a it's it's as old as time. It's a yeah. I, I know you guys don't like the word the recreational, I didn't but it is a it, like it is word. 
<laughs> the problem it is a recreational thing. Well, the it's, problem is why, the truth. It, why, yeah, why, but, why is my recreational desires uh, less than uh, a fucking bird watcher? Well, because because it's, because it's used by because it's consumptive. Well, it's, it's consumptive, used, right? It's used by the anti-hunting to portray hunting in the light of, oh, they're just out there killing. They don't, when they do their write-ups, their write-ups don't say con- consumptive use, edible bear, none of no, that. It's recreational killing of- Trophy hunting. The animal. Recreational they, killing. They're using yep. more, I've in, in recent months, I've seen more recreational hunting or recreational killing than I have seen trophy. I think they've kind of- come to a head with i shouldn't say a head but they're getting close to coming to a head with trophy hunting yes it's used yeah, but maybe. i see recreational more than more than yeah, not recreational and, and and instead of us getting all defensive about it like uh like i told you guys earlier i took my girls out coyote hunting i got this new uh it's not it's not a fox bro man it's a uh the duck the uh, shit i'm forgetting the name of it anyway <laughs> Um, whatever that brand is, it's like a Fox pro deal. I bought one and it showed up. I'm, I'm excited as a, you know, kid on Christmas and, uh, I take the girls up. We get all camoed out. I get this sucker just screaming. The only thing we end up calling in were a bunch of crows that were super curious about what was going on. And, uh, even though I had, a, I had two different coyotes on the, on the camera up where we were hunting, uh, that day. Anyway, my point is that coyote hunt. That was not conservation. I wasn't really, am I concerned about how many fawns that particular coyote's going to kill this spring? Ah, maybe a little bit. Uh, do I think the, the deer population in North Idaho on the whitetail side is suffering in any way, shape, or form? Hell no, it's not. Um, are the turkey population suffering here? Nope, not in the, in fact, I, oh, I was going to tell you guys this. I, I had an albino turkey on my property this morning Domestic uh, when turkey. I left for work. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I tried to, I tried, no, it was with a, he was with a bunch of, uh, you know, regular colored Merriams. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I shouldn't say he, it was a she. Um, yeah, that? she, she's, because I, I know the difference between a Tom and a, and a hen. Did you ask them? You're in the Pacific Northwest. You are- <laughs> I did. I, I did pull over. I did pull over. And I said, hey, hey, hey. Uh, male, uh, male yeah. I don't want to. I don't. Listen, male I don't assume you're lay eggs, too. <laughs> yes, they can. And especially an albino. A fucking gender neutral albino turkey. There you go. Um, maybe, without maybe making any assumptions. Maybe, maybe it yeah. had nothing to do with toxic masculine or, or, or white cisgendered anything. Maybe it, <laughs> it wanted it was non-binary, and so I just I decided to take a melanin neutral position. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that. Other than I, you're right. I didn't mean to assume it's gender. Check, but, check um, this out. We're, while we're going back, the the point is, is the the coyote hunt was purely recreational. It was purely recreational. And, and my next coyote hunt that's probably going to happen later this week is going to be purely recreational. Um, guy, go for you. You've got something to say. But yeah, I, I was just to- I was I was still reading through this. Right. Just in context of what we were talking about and how they word things and, and their uh, 
ignoring the science. Commissioner Tim Reagan, who voted against the spring black bear season, said not approving this season would give fish and wildlife staff time to build on science about black bear populations. So is it ever? Are they ever going to have the science? Yeah, no, I, I, I could say with great confidence, the science is on the side of spring bear hunting in the state of Washington. They have, a, I would argue that the state of Washington has one of the healthiest populations of black bears and some of the best habitat in the lower 48. Uh, the, the, uh, the biologists have presented at the last commission meeting. Well, it wasn't the last committee. It was a commission meeting where they shut down the spring bear for uh, 2021 or 2022. I can't remember. Um, I mean, they all, it's not like when you're a biologist or, well, and Chris, you know this better than I do, uh, working for the agency, you can't just come out and say, well, I think, I think the bear hunting uh, should continue because, uh, you know, we got a bunch of bears. No, they were just very much, it was very, um, pragmatic. It was, here's how many bears we have somewhere between 25 and 35,000 bears, Spring bear hunt uh, usually sends um, 120 of them uh, get get taken. I, I'm, I'm again, I'm going right off the top of my head from something I researched almost a year ago. But uh, the point is, is every science based presentation in that particular meeting it was it was eye opening. If you guys would have seen it. They were all for the spring bear hunt from a sense of science and data and the facts that, that you know, that, hey, there's plenty of bears. Uh, 0.02% of take in the spring are lactating subs or sows uh, with cubs. Um, and the rest is, you know, uh, totally legal. So anyway, the point being that statement from that particular commissioner is total pure bullshit, bullshit yeah. and hyperbole. Well, check this the out. The science so, is already there. They've been they, these scientists have been doing this for how many decades? And we got to keep waiting around for more science to show up. Like, at what point do we have to say, okay, we've done enough science here? It's been the same fucking data for three decades. It's okay to have a spring bear hunt. Yeah, since 1999, human bear All conflict. Right. They have a hell of a list here. So this one, Which, so this one goes go against the the last. Uh, commissioner um in my opinion we have to decide that what is uh it is what we want to achieve and what science we need to meet those objectives then we have to consider the public opinion we haven't done it yet and that's our responsibility so science versus public opinion and the verbiage that they use in these write-ups and the onslaught of you know new uh, Washington Wildlife First and and HSUS and all that. Where where does the science matter in public opinion? I mean, it just yeah. Well, no, 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 no. no. We're gonna we're not we're not gonna brush over that one. Oh <laughs> okay, no, no, no. Let's, that, we need it. Hold on, let's let's pause. Let's pause. That Hold one, that Chris. thought. Let's pause. Oh, sorry. Because I drank two big old things of water, and I got to hit the head real quick. Give me a sec. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, we got to pause for that. Did you hear that, Chris? I Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I won't just, stop it. Keep going, and I'll jump back in. Hold on. I, I, I just walk out and pee, man. Um, I've got a bottle next to me. Come on, man. That, me too, rookie. man. I can't tell you. Rookie. Everybody's like... Come on. Everybody's like, oh, why don't you have... 300 Why don't you have... Uh, go ahead. 
Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I have people telling me, why don't you do in-person podcasts? And it's like, A, geographically, uh, what am I, Joe Rogan? I can afford to fly people here to North Idaho on my homestead. And B, uh, B, I, I have a fucking small bladder, man. And I usually drink whiskey while I'm recording. I'm not tonight, surprisingly. But um, I usually do. And I have a small bladder. So I have to make sure I'm muted and pee in a bottle about three times for a two-hour podcast, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 300 podcasts for guy, you know, he's got 300 po- he, he, and he doesn't have a pee bottle. Come on now. That's rookie. That That's, that's, he that's, needs a, have you ever heard of a sheepa? No, he needs a sheepa. That's uh, for the ladies. So they can stand and pee. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a funnel. It's like this funnel thing. All right, so you're back. All right, we were we were just giving you a ration of shit for being 300 podcasts in and not. <laughs> hey, I, man, like I increased you're my rookie, man. I increased my water intake, and it was it was <laughs> oh, it was there. <laughs> there's, there's no free lunch. There's always a cost. I'm just gonna know, pay something. I didn't right, want so to have to piss in this cup. This, all right, so this is the thing. I'm not gonna let that one go by because this is the thing that frustrates me with with sportsmen. We sit there and we stand on the North American model of wildlife conservation, and we use that as the pedestal, the moral pedestal on which we stand on, that we can sling all of our bullshit or or do all the treacherous shit that we want or whatever we want. We, we use this as a, some mythical uh, pedestal that is our get out of free, you know, get out of jail, uh, you know, free card that, you know, Biden's we are wall. the moral ones. <laughs> it's the sportsman's Biden Southern wall. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, I, like I can do whatever. We can do whatever because we're the morally righteous ones here because of the North American model of wildlife conservation. We pay for it. We're the ones that are. Okay. Guess what you said earlier. It's yes. What hunt <laughs> sportsman dollars are the lion's share of money that goes in to pay for what state wildlife conservation and management all state all wildlife in that state is managed and funded by largely sportsman dollars so it's not just game species it's non-game species as well tne species everything we're supposed to be we we use that as a moral pedestal from from why we're righteous on the landscape of doing stuff for elk and deer and that type of stuff. Oh, because, you know, we need to keep the elk population in check because otherwise, you know, the dicky birds and the, it, it affects the ecosystem and the carrying capacity of all these. You want to use a non-game and other wildlife species as your as your your weapon. As your sword of Damocles over the head of someone else to say, don't 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 come after hunting because look at all the other things we do that. OK. But what's the other part of the North American model of wildlife conservation? The, the, the wildlife of the state is managed for the people of the state, not the sportsmen of the state, the people of the state. And if sportsmen represent, say, I don't know, less than 8%, let's say 5%, somewhere in there, whatever the population and the other 95 plus percent of the population doesn't want something, you're telling me that the Wildlife Commission is incorrect in listening to 95% of the population and dismissing 5% of the population. Because if we're talking about this, here's, this is two, this is two wildly different points here. If the state agency, wildlife agency is coming to the table and saying, 
we have 25 to 35, whatever gym number you gave, you, you got say 30,000 bears on the landscape and that's 10 to 15, 20,000 bears, too many for the, for the habitat and everything else. And we cannot get a handle on making sure we do not have too many bears. So we need some mechanism by which to increase harvest so we can maintain an equitable balance, uh, an equitable balance of, of wildlife population on the, on the landscape. Therefore, after explore, exploring all other options of increasing bear harvest, our best option is a spring bear hunt. That's one take, one option. The other, or there's, there, there's one reality. But if you're telling me the reality is, yeah, we've got 25 to 35,000 bears, that's plenty. I mean, the, the population's doing good. You know, obviously we can't do flight transects. We can't mon we can't biologically from a bio from a, a, a population management, a population modeling standpoint, we can't do transects, we can't do winter surveys, we can't do that type of stuff like we could do deer and elk and everything else. So we estimate bears wildly different, but we believe we've got a bunch of different bears. And yeah, I mean, if if the hunters over here would like to go kill more bears, then yeah, there's not a problem on the, on the landscape ecologically. So sure. Let them, let them go kill bears in the spring. It, it really, we could set the numbers to where, you know, people can go hunt bears if they want to go hunt bears. And we really aren't going to impact the, the ecology of the bear population or whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Those are two wildly different motivations behind a spring bear hunt. Number one, right? Like one is necessary for the, for the balance of the ecosystem and the population. The other one is just an opportunity if someone wants to go kill them. Because yeah. what you said, that those are two wildly different arguments, wildly different arguments. And what you said earlier was pure, you know, like your coyote hunt, your, it was purely recreation. It's fun. The problem mm -hmm. is sportsmen have never grappled with why they actually hunt. I think we've used the North American model of wildlife, modern, these past couple of decades, we've used the North American model of wildlife conservation as an absolute, just a, a pathetic crutch. We've never grappled with why it is that we actually hunt. And you nailed it. We enjoy it. We, we enjoy it. We, yep. we, we're not going hunt. We're not buying. We, we're not listening to the state agency, and we're and we and we we don't have a, a conversation with the state agency. And the state agency goes, um, uh, uh, "Public service announcement to the citizens of you know Washington or Idaho or Colorado. Uh, we have noticed of le of of recent uh, 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 surveys that our elk population has grown exceedingly large, and we are very concerned about our habitat and the landscape." We really would, we need people to, to really step up and, and sacrifice for the betterment of habitat and across the, the state. Do we have anyone that was willing to heed the call and, you know, and, and come and, and come out and hunt for our populations? That ain't the fucking discussion, is it? No, we no it's not. We want to go there. We enjoy doing it. We, I'm sorry, that makes people uncomfortable. We enjoy killing animals. And, and, I, and I put an asterisk around that because I've brought this up before uh, as well in, in other places. I, just like we saw the fishing community, largely 
you still have people keeping fish. Absolutely. They put fish, they want to take fish home for the fish fry. Absolutely. But you see the culture of most fishing these days. The vast majority of people, I think, in the fishing, in angling industry are releasing fish. They're going out there because why? They want to catch the fish. They want to have the excitement reeling in. They want to pick it up, do the grip and grin, and then they want to do it all over again. Because why? Because there's a creel limit. They can only keep so many fish. But if they release fish, they can do it all the time. I seriously believe that the vast majority of hunters, if we could ever safely come up with a way to chemically immobilize elk and deer and bear and turkeys and everything else, and we can go out and we could actually do a functional catch and release hunting style scenario where I could go out and shoot a turkey in the face, yeah. watch it hit the ground. And, and I could go up and I could do my grip and grin and then oop, revive him. There you go, buddy. There you go. And send him on his way like a trout. And he lives to, to go the other day. I would be out there freaking knocking birds on the ground at freaking like disgustingly. I would be out there ape shit going crazy. I, be, why? Because I enjoy the game. We only kill the animal because that's the checkmate. That's the final win on our, on our engagement. And it does put meat in the freezer. We do enjoy putting meat in the freezer. But I had this discussion with Aaron. You know, he goes across how many different states, kills 30-some different animals a year. He's not doing that because he needs to fill 87 different chest freezers. He's doing it because he enjoys going out there hunting. He enjoys going out there and killing. We've never wrestled with the fact that we do enjoy it. So when someone comes up to us and criticizes us and says, you guys, the only reason why you want to go out there on the landscape and shoot, and I'm just going to arbitrarily say it, spring bears, if it does not have some like rock, like bedrock foundation in, we've got way too many freaking bears and we have no solution to get them in check other than to increase harvest. And the best way to do that is to offer this spring. If it's not rooted in some just it just bedrock foundation of management, then all you're talking about is the fundamental Webster's Dictionary definition of recreation. It's fucking fun. You want to go out and have fun in the spring. You would like to go out there and chase bears because it's fun. You're not taking one for the team. You're not going up there and like, well, I guess it's my turn. I, it's like not jury duty. It's not like the state draws a name out of the hat and says, oh, by the way, Chris Rowe, you got drawn for spring bear season. Fucking God damn it. I don't want <laughs> issues. I've got family. I got <laughs> I don't need to go before the wildlife commission and argue why I need to be removed from my bit spring bear hunting duty. That ain't it. You enjoy hunting. You want to go out there and do it. And you are looking for an increase in enjoyable recreational opportunity. Make your case to the other 95% of the population. The Wildlife Commission might be compromised. It may be stacked with those people that don't have the same value set as you. That's no excuse not to be able to have a legitimate argument on the playing field within the realms of reality of what the other 95% of the population could literally sit there and look at and see with their own two eyes. This is where... This type of debate and what's going on, what I see, it's, again, it, this is not new. This is what got me motivated into sportsman politics 20-some years ago and why I'm so disgusted with it now. It never changes. The activists are in it. They have lobbyists. They have lawyers. 
They spend millions. They get everybody. They have their membership is 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 committed is almost. Uh, I'm gonna, no, I'm not going to say the word. They are absolutely motivated. And the sportsman community isn't. This totally. is not an email campaign. This is I'm going to hire a fucking lawyer and we're going to have a freaking lobbyist. And that lobbyist is going to go or all these organizations. We're going to get together. We're going to pool our money. We're going to have a lobbyist. And then we're going to set up a meeting to have a private meeting with each of these 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 wildlife commissioners. We're or we're going to we're going to have an audience with these wildlife commissioners. And if the wildlife commissioners don't want to have a meeting, then that's where we go right straight to the governor and say, what the fuck is going on with your wildlife commission? Cause they're not actually engaging the public and they're not having a meeting. We demand, we no, we're not going to demand. We want a meeting with your wildlife commission and they're refusing to what's the problem. Does, does the wildlife commission have a problem with the sportsman community? Why is the governor of the state of Washington endorsing the egregious actions of the wildlife commission to ignore the sportsman? Start flipping the fucking script and making it political. You want to argue facts and logic to people don't argue, that don't give a shit about facts and logic? Start arguing shit that matters to them. Emotion? How about re-election? Reappointment? How about freaking public pressure? How about scrutiny? Put up a send money and put up a freaking billboard on freaking I five or or whatever that whatever it is that goes right through fucking CNN. yeah I five no you're right so put it up there and say why does the wildlife commission not want to have a, a meaningful conversation with a sportsman of this state why does the wildlife you know start putting that shit up to where it's it, that's a great now idea. you're talking about the wheelhouse of that's what motivates these people. You know that. You know what makes that so brilliant. I, I and I, because it, it's just brilliant. But I want to say, um, <laughs> what are your thoughts, Chris, on the the fact that I I uh, I agree with everything you just said, one hundred and ten percent. And I think I think a lot of what you just said is fucking brilliant. And it's it's uh, a lot of the stuff that as hunters we're so asleep at the wheel all the time we don't even realize shit like that. Um, but, but it's brilliant. However, to play devil's advocate in the state of Washington, who the fuck is going to beat Inslee? Like they tried to run a, they, they ran a pretty good Republican candidate this last, uh, this last cycle. Inslee stomped him. So when you have these areas like Washington state, like California and even Oregon, Oregon's just bad. Hell, if not worse, where it's these large metropolitan areas like Seattle, Tacoma, they have this big fucking goddamn zombie group thing going on where everybody's this crazy woke leftist and and uh, they don't give a shit about sportsmen or, or the rural community of Washington or the folks that don't live in downtown Seattle. Like they just don't like Washington has to be one of the worst examples of the, the common citizen not having a voice. No, it's dude, it, I, like. I, I, they, Jim, I'm, how, I'm, do, I'm, how do we how do we battle this though? How do I because do you know what I'm? Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? It's so lopsided. Yeah, but Jim, I, I will disagree only in the fact that I grew up in upstate New York. The state of New York is run by New York City and Albany. True, true. They don't true. give a shit about upstate New York. Washington State might be run by Seattle, Tacoma, and Olymp, you know Olympic Peninsula or or the Puget Sound area. But that's no different than Colorado being run by Denver, Boulder, and freaking Pueblo County, and maybe you throw an Aspen Vale area. 
It's mm-hmm. no different than fucking Kansas. That Kansas is run by Kansas City, Wichita, and Topeka. Like you can look at the voting maps. Like the rest of the freaking state goes completely red, and you got these three little dots that are blue. And guess what? The the, the this is this is commonplace for most of the United States. Yeah. So I it's, think it's, I, I, I the issue. I agree. Jim, You're right. You're right. To, to answer your question is. We have got to get better at playing a different game. Stop. Fu- I'm sorry. Okay, this is where I get fired up. I know you do. I, we all get fired up, man. You I do know get fired Char- up. Quick. I know Charlie and the Howell guys are listening to this. I love you guys. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I my my my, my the problem I have is oh fuck I'm, I just stepped in it now. The problem I have is is in my experience, historically, email campaigns are the least effective method of advocacy in a political environment possible. It that, shown- that, that is that is very true. Uh, I I have a, a lobbyist friend and also a, a friend that is very close to the Idaho legislature. Unfortunately, the email campaigns, while they don't go unnoticed, it's not very effective. They don't move but the needle. I will say they don't move the needle. Um, but I, I would say while you're gathering your thoughts on, on what you're going to say there, I, I'll throw this out there. If if there was interest, I I would personally pay for the billboard. Well, when I say personally pay, if 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 we had enough supporters, that maybe well, well, here's what I do. Here's what here's a good idea. I don't sell shit for swag on my website. Um, and it's not very active every once in a while, somebody jumps on there and buys a t-shirt. Cause they, you know, it's through uh, one of those parties that it's like drop shipped. They're not mm-hmm. like custom, super nice t-shirts. Yeah. But if, uh, if enough people got on there and buy t-shirts, I would take 100% of those proceeds and, and go down and I, I would buy a billboard that said just exactly what you said and how, how you worded it. Uh, from a standpoint of why is Washington and the commissioners, why is the governor and the commissioners not listening to the sportsman? Here's the, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm this in, in this arena at this point, I'm probably one of the stupidest people in the room. There's, there's people that this is what they do. They're, they're political people. There are people that actually make their life. This I, I was for a while. And it, I'll tell you the amount of money I spent and the hardship it created with my family and everything else. It wasn't worth it for me. That's why part of the reason why I walked away from it. But this is where you need lawyers. You need lobbyists and they're not cheap. But if you want to move the freaking needle, I would rather see an organization say, you know what? We're done. We're freaking done. This is where this is the reality we live in. And this is where we live. And we know for a fact we're grotesquely outnumbered. We need somebody that's going to be in the in the Capitol on our behalf. Every freaking day that has so, the ability to to knock on the governor's door and 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 literally have the clout to say where the governor's like, oh, come on in and have a discussion. And the sportsmen need to pick up the pick up the their their checkbook and write a check and say, I'm going to support this organization that's going to have a lobbyist, an aggressive, smart, shrewd lobbyist at the Capitol, involved with the agencies, involved with the. You're you're not going to fight a a wildfire with a little squirt gun. The 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 freaking animal activist groups have money, organization, and just vehement commitment and just conviction of their beliefs 
and they unify and they mobilize and they descend like a freaking pack of wolves. You're going so, to have to either have the same mentality and conviction or you're going to have to pay someone to step up and go to war for you. So, Chris, is there is there like some legality issue with uh, – because you've been there, done that, like like a nonprofit? Because I believe like how, how, how for wildlife is a nonprofit, is it not? Yes. Godly, you're just uh, I, you're no, 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 no. I don't. I don't mean to go down that road. What, I, what I'm saying, <laughs> what, what what I'm saying is, uh, yes, they are limited. Uh, there's some. Y- yes, what I'm saying is like a like like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation because it's a nonprofit cannot lobby. Right. On behalf of hunters, right? right. This and, is and why. So what this I'm is what I said earlier about the fragmentation. Does, sorry, Jim. Does does this? Is there a way that an organization can be set up that is a not not for profit? Yes. That can go to war. Yes. And how do we achieve that? Yes. The, the, okay. So a five hundred one c three is largely organ. It's organized around it's it's okay. So 503, 501c3 organizations are the ones that are tax deductible. That's why people, you know, it's for some charitable, social, beneficial purpose. Okay. And so with a 501c3, the IRS allows your organization to sell stuff and do stuff and not have to pay taxes. And, and you, as your donor, you can donate to that organization and have it be tax deductible, right? But there are limitations. And one of the limitations is there's a very strict percent, like limit on percentage on how much political activism and political involvement and political swaying you can do. Now, you can report the news. But this is another reason why I've been critical of Howell. You are, unless the IRS has made some radical changes, Howell.org would be allowed under the 501c3 rules. Now, again, I know, go ahead. I, you guys can do your own fucking research or whatever. But this, as someone who started a 501c3 and has been involved with 501c3s and plus years ago, maybe there's been rule changes. But from everything that I've known, if a a 501c3 wants to put out a newsletter or put together a website that allows its members to know what's going on and then says, here's the issue, here are the pluses, here are the minuses, get a hold of your local representatives and the commissioners and, and commissioners and let them know what you think, that's fine. But if you get in there and you say, here's what's going on, here's what the issue, here's what to say, here's who to say it to, here's how to vote, here's how to influence, and here's how to motivate, and here's how to move in a certain direction, nope, that is not a 501c3. That puts it in the 501c6, 501c5. There's different okay. things. Uh, so, so there are other nonprofit. there are other 501c blah 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 organizations that you can that you can organize organize yourself under the IRS uh, uh, IRS code that will allow you to do political advocacy, uh, ad, you know, uh, lobbying, all sorts of other stuff. But that's not a 501c3, so it has okay, to be so. My uh, again, you, you'll you. I'm going to expose my na- naivete on this, but. Um, Let's say I went down and filed an LLC 
and was able to somehow generate revenue through crowdfunding or selling fucking right the latest hunting gadget or whatever right and i could take that money and hire lawyers and lobbyists to do our bidding i i, I understand this would take massive I, i'm I, we're not talking about selling t-shirts i mean this would be millions of dollars this, this that would be required to you know go this route would would that be the best way, or would be filing as one of these other five hundred C three or five hundred C designations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, you just it's it's not it's not rocket surgery, man. Like the problem is, is if you go if you put yourself in a situation where you are, uh, when you do a five hundred one C six, five hundred one C three, or said not five hundred one C three, you can be tax deductible, and that's why everybody loves it because I can buy a T shirt. And then say it was for a charitable cause. And then the five, you know, so yeah. a, a 501c6 or anything like that, C7, C, you know, all these, all these other ones, you don't get a write-off. It's it's not a tax deductible charitable donation for the person giving the money. So I would give the money and I just flat give the money. It, there is no charitable purpose for it. But that's the way to do it. I mean, there's plenty of them. I mean, it's not like that. Like if you look at the Firearms Coalition and you look at some of these other folks that are out, you know, I, I can't say Firearms Coalition. You look at a lot of some of the, um, well, NRA, let's say the NRA ILA. That's not a 501c3. If you, if you go into look at who these people are that are involved in Washington, D.C., that have lobbyists. They're going to be organized under a 501c6, 501c7, 501c – I don't know. I, I don't remember. It's been a while. Yeah, one of, one of those designations. It's yeah. easy to do. It just takes willpower to do it, and you just have to understand that your actions when, – when you're out there trying to garner money, you're not garnering money under any sort of charitable thing – anything char – excuse me, charitable whatsoever. You are doing it for a political action. You just have to yeah, freaking yeah. own it. Just freaking own it and do it. And why? I, I don't understand why we haven't. I, because I, I, I look at it. Money. Okay, there's there's money, there's roughly yeah. ten. It, there's, it costs money. There's and roughly it, ten million hunters out there. Um, they won't spend if, the money. Five. They won't five Jim, million won't of spend them. The money. Jim, they won't. Spend I, I know. The money. I, I know. This is what what uh, vexes me sometimes. But uh, you know, the the example would be if if five million hunters spent ten bucks. Imagine what you could do with a lobbyist and, and, and a good law firm. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, it's just, I feel like there's solutions. Uh, we're just not working in conjunction with each other. Well, and then sure. you got to, you got to think that the money that we are putting to it, right. We get a fucking magazine subscription or you get a t-shirt. How much money does that cost <laughs> that gets pulled away from the cause that I want to back? Like, I don't want the fucking t-shirt, right? You, Get the shit why done. Do you think, why do you think the NRA sends out a mailer to its memberships like every two weeks asking for money, asking for money, asking for money, asking for money, asking for money? Every one of these mm -hmm. political action people are just constantly underfunded and part of the uh, part of the budget absolutely goes to literally constantly engaging its members, trying to get more money so they have enough funds to do what needs to be done. Like, go go talk to the guys from the National Sportsman's Alliance. Like, they at least have people on the ground. And it's, this is the thing, political advocacy is difficult and it costs money. 
the only people that get into that engage in that and and willingly participate in that are those people that have a fundamental belief structure that becomes part of their life that they ha- they feel compelled that they have to do this this is con- this is what connects them to the bigger broader community and the environment like the animal activists sportsmen are not that way they're just not that way the sportsmen are not that way they it's an individualist selfish uh we hunt for selfish reasons we hunt for individual reasons we don't hunt for a community reason. We don't engage in fishing for a community reason. We engage in hunting and fishing for our own personal reasons. Animal activists, completely different. Completely different. It's a completely different mindset. And so until sportsmen get their shit together, organize and spend money and actually start hiring lobbyists and actually get people that have a relationship. This is what, and your buddy could tell you this, the people that have a relationship that walk the halls of the state Capitol, that walk into the agency headquarters and sit down and have a meeting with the agency director, have a meeting with the, the agency lia, you know, legislative liaison and say, okay, what's coming up? What are you guys working on? How is this? Okay, that's awesome. That's good. Okay, well, hold on a minute. We might have an issue, but let's like actually has a fucking relationship with the, with the legislative liaison, then can go over to the wildlife commission and have a, have sit down and have lunch with the wildlife commissioners and sit there and talk and then go back. Unless you have a person like that or are willing to pay for a person like that, we will, we will continually lose. Unless, yep, yep. unless, unless sportsmen can, can finally grapple with the realities of why they hunt and then reframe the entire conversation away from facts and logic and away from the North American model of wildlife conservation and the moral pedestal that I stand on because I'm paying for wildlife. Because I'm going to talk about that on my platform of where we're failing miserably on that front. And the very organizations that you pay, sportsmen pay into, the three and four letter you know, organizations that sportsmen's organizations that you're paying into that claim to be out there on your behalf to save public land and your access and everything else are the same ones that are in Washington, D.C.'s telling Washington, D.C. and other politicians and agencies. Yeah, sportsmen aren't cutting it. We need we need other funding mechanisms like. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is why it's it's such a the big issue. We, we are going to have to grapple with why do we hunt? And at some point, somebody's going to have to come up with some really good articulation of of why is there a difference? What, like, for instance, in Colorado, there was just a new uh, monument in Colorado, the the Camp Hale National Monument. Camp Hale is like a two mile radius. This little postage stamp, old army base from World War Two. Okay, and then around that was some training area. <clears throat> People used the argument that we wanted to, to preserve the history of Camp Hale, the, the old remnant. It's I've driven through it. I've spent a lot of time there because I used to hunt there. It's literally a bunch of asphalt and concrete. That's it. That's pretty much all there is. There's no vertical structure pretty much anymore. It's just a chunk of real estate where stuff used to be. They said, we want to preserve the historical nature of this. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to preserve 53,000 acres around it that's interesting because they they built neighborhoods on the battlefield of fredericksburg virginia it had nothing to do with the it had nothing to do with freaking camp hale it had everything to do of creating de facto wilderness and and freaking everything else um around it why the fuck did i even bring it up i lost my train of thought there was a relevant (laughs) point of why 
Why did I freaking bring up Camp Hale? It'll come. God damn, this sucks. I just, I, I just I, lost my train of thought. Anyway, there so was I a don't re- know, but you, you, you said a couple things in there that just like I, I do want to promote the episode you just put out because nobody has articulated oh, and put into oh, words. Oh, I know. Episode sixty two. Okay, see, I told you. Brought you me back. You brought me. Brought you. Brought <laughs> me back. So the re- the reason why I'm I brought that you. up is because it was, and this is why progressive organizations and, pro- and environmentalists love progressive presidents because, or pro- progressive leaders, because you don't have to convince an entire Congress. You don't have to convince an entire committee of people. All you have to do is convince one person that has the arrogance and the progr- proclivity, proclivity to say, I decree and just scribble a piece of pen and make it so. And that's what they did with, with Camp Hale. But here's the interesting part. Of course, they had to figure out some way to put diversity, equity, and inclusion in the, the language of you know designating this new monument. But more importantly, part of the argument for this monument was so that the Ute tribe, the Ute Indian tribe, would be – this is my paraphrase – validated and considered and we could – because – Historically, apparently the Ute Indian tribe used this area in the past. We need to be sensitive to the fact that the Ute peoples used to use this area for, for subsistence uh, and for their for their way of life. So we need to preserve this area and we need to work with the Ute Indian tribe as we move forward to the management plan for this new monument to be sensitive to what the what subsistence indigenous peoples need from our public lands. I don't even want to freaking entertain what that means. But more importantly is, why is it valid that the concerns of an, quote unquote, indigenous people and their right to hunt and fish and glean from the land, their subsistence and their way of life? Now, because that's the that's part of it. It's not just they need to go out there and kill deer and elk or whatever to put meat on the freezer. No, it's to reconnect and be a, a part of their way of life. Why are we not as sportsmen? Why can we never articulate that we're all part of the human species? We all originated in that same vein. We all had a connection to the earth at some point. We just had different countries. We had different political structures. We had different levels of oppression. We had different levels of restriction. We had different challenges that we had to overcome throughout history that removed different peoples at different times from the landscape. But that does not mean that it's not part of our genetic history and who we are. We start arguing, and I I understand this is going to be difficult for for the vast majority of cisgendered white folks trying to articulate why they have a connection to the landscape that, that, that anybody should give a shit over. But that's the type of discussion we're going to start have have to have to have in the in the in the public sphere of. We are someone that had there. It's that, okay. This is where huh, we start getting down the road of the progressive ideology and, and it's belief that humans are apart from nature, apart from mm-hmm. the ecosystem, apart from the natural processes. So we don't belong in there. We're actually a virus. We're a cancer. We're a, we're a scourge on the earth. And we, you know, see, this is the problem. We need to make the case that no, we are part of, we, 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 we evolved as a, as an animal on this landscape. We had a connection with the landscape. That doesn't mean that some of us, just because we have light skin or, or 
or we're a man or a woman or whatever we were born in the United States doesn't mean that genetically, functionally, spiritually inside us, we don't still have that deep-seated connection because that is where the vast majority of us connect to hunting. And quite honestly, this growing culture of the locavores and the new, you know, late onset adult hunting who are getting involved with that. You guys have talked to them. You've been those people that have said, you know what? I want a, I want to know where my food comes from. Mm-hmm. I, I have a if, I, if if folks have a connection to gardening and and growing thought, you know, getting in the soil, cultivating the soil, growing. I don't care if it's vegetables or flowers or trees or you, it's okay to have a connection to the soil and the earth in cultivating agriculture. It should but not you, be. What, you you get you, you can't blame them for having that. I mean, you're talking about the vast majority of Americans live in large metro areas where their idea of nature is going down to the city park and having a you know a, a hot dog unless they're hostile vegans and they fly their kite and eat tofu. You don't even but, but you don't even consider the nature in that context, Jim. You don't you don't. It is view nature. It that. It I know, is but you don't. I know you said you know but, but in those but, urban areas the, you don't Jim, see it as that. There's no the, the connection of, there. Sorry. The best part about this, though, is this time of this time in history is the woke time of history. Just because you live in an urban area does not mean you can deny me who I am. That's right. You cannot deny yeah. who I identify. Exactly what I'm saying. This is where sportsmen need to get their head out of their ass and be creative and start learn listening to the opposition. And I'm and I'm I'm gonna use air quotes around opposition because I don't think there are opponents. They just don't, they don't, they have a completely fundamental personality, they have a completely different mindset, they have a completely different value structure. They're not it's apples and oranges. So if we want to survive on this landscape into the future, we are going to have to adapt. We are going to have to evolve. We're gonna to have to. No different than predator-prey relationships. I'm eventually going to talk about that in here in, in, in Kansas and what's going on uh, out on this landscape. The reason why that you know, we look at the ecology books where the predator-prey relationship, you have these cycles of boom and bust, boom and bust, where the prey goes up and then the predators go up and then the predators get high enough where they drive the population down and the predators or the population of the ungulates crash or the prey species crash. And then eventually the predators spread. That whole cycle the reason why the predators at the top drive the prey species to ex- almost near extinction is because they get so good at killing, they have evolved and learned so effective methods and tactics and uh, ability to ha- kill prey that they drive the prey to almost extinction. And it's not until the prey drops so low that the predators just physically don't have the numbers of prey to go after or they just can't. They're just not on the landscape, so they just cannot reproduce and survive like they did before. But it's the evolution of the mindset and the ability of the predator to match that prey and overcome the prey that drives that prey back down and and drives it to a lower population level. We are not evolving to change our mindset to drive the anti-hunting, non-consumptive use mindset to extinction. We could. If you look at the numbers of predators, I, I use this analogy with Aaron in the in the Kerfaro cast. Our carrying capacity as sportsmen on the landscape is not the national forest. It's not the BLM. 
It is literally the critters we want to go after. The mo- if we had more critters on the landscape, we could have more hunters in the field engaging in hunting and being satisfied and successful in hunting. If we reduce the number of critters in the field, we have to, by default, that's why agencies make limited licenses, we decrease the number of hunters we have in the landscape. We are in a predator-prey type of relationship in our own landscape. Same thing goes ideologically. If you look at predators on the landscape, usually there are hundreds or thousands of, of ungulates or whatever on the landscape, and you have a, a hundred, a couple hundred predators, but those couple hundred predators are effective enough to drive them to a critical low level to where the predators can no longer maintain that high population level. We are the predators. They are, if you want to look at it from a predator prey relationship, our numbers are low, but if we got smart and we evolved how to engage more effectively we could drive the anti-hunting sentiment low and we could survive, but we're not, we're not evolving. We, we go, we run back to our safe space. We run back to the safe corner. It's like a tag, you know, tag you're in. I, nope, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the safe zone. You can't touch me. We run back to the pillar of the North American model of wildlife conservation. And we think that's going to save us. No, it ain't. Nope we're going to be left behind if we don't evolve and get smarter. I'm done with my agree. Yeah. I I got, I got, I got no argument. Get somebody to understand or want to listen to the seven, (laughs) the seven sisters. (laughs) I know. I, I, yeah, I, I know they, uh, well, I won't even go there, but uh, yeah, you do. If you do, if you do podcasts on uh, how to, how to kill an elk, and then you do a podcast on uh, the, the 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 principles of the, the North American model of wildlife conservation. Which one do you think gets more downloads? Oh, I, you, you don't even have to ask the question. And that, and I yeah. think that's part of the problem, right? And you know, I was going to get to it, but we've been you know three hours now. Um, we'll have to talk about it on the next one. But you know, we were when we were waiting on you, we started kind of going down the rabbit hole of. Um, influencers or influence right across the across the landscape or demographic and the lack of and i'm broad stroking there's there are folks that you know um are involved or trying to be involved and and spread the message but generally speaking that's not a thing it it doesn't you don't see the importance come through versus you know marketing of x y or z and I think that's yeah. where a lot of, you know, a lot of the frustration comes from. Um, and, and you know, hopefully we hear and see more of it. And, and people got to realize that, you know, this shit is, is here and now, you know. And I think I said it in one of our first conversations, and I've said it for years, well, maybe the last couple years on the podcast, right? I used to consider, you know, preserving this or, or wanting to ensure this was here for future generations, but man, I'm looking at it now going, shit, I just want to be able to keep hunting. Right. It, it was like that, you know, mm-hmm. that future look and and we're not, we were maybe arrogant in our view of it, but the threat man in the last couple three years has grown more and more and more and more, dude. It is, it's something else when. Yeah. It's, it's just spreading like wildfire. Oh, it's, like, it's you know, it's, 
it's, okay, it's so- the insanity of how the well. What, what were you going to say, Chris? The, okay, you need. It goes in cycles. It, it, we've had we've had barrages of attacks before, okay? But it goes in cycles, and it, and it really goes in cycles when you have progressive ideology in in governmental leadership. Because again, like I said, if you have a progressive ideology, ends justify the means. I don't give a shit about process. I don't give a shit about a public hearing. I don't give a shit about listening to my constituents. I believe I know what needs to be done. I believe I have the answer. I believe my way is the right way. So I'm just going to do it. Okay. Yeah. So as we go through these cycles of progressive ideology and we get progressive governors, we give, get progressive wildlife commissions. We get, again, the wildlife commission is appointed by the governors typically. So you get a, a progressive governor a, a progressive state government. They're going to put in place progressive administrators. So when you have those progressive ebbs and flows, you're going to have more of this because animal activists, anti-hunters, environmentalists, know that they don't have to convince the populace of the state. All they have to do is convince a tiny group of people to, to do whatever that they want to do. That's a lot. It's easier to convince five people to do something than, than 500,000. It's a lot easier to convince one person to do something rather than five, let alone 500,000. So the, this advocacy you're going to see ebbs and flows with progressive ideology. Unfortunately, society to this day, these days, leans more and more and more towards the progressive ideology, number one. Number two, well, well shoot, um, there was, uh, I, I'll save, I'll save that. So the, the second point I want to make with, it was going to be a, a longer discussion. Um, the second point I want to make is part of the reason why you're seeing this, 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 in my opinion, part of the reason why you're seeing this flurry and in my opinion, this panic on behalf of the animal activists and the anti-hunters is directly related to the fact that we have a massive influx of not of late onset hunters, late onset adult hunters. There are more and more, more people listening to the Joe Rogans. There are more and more people listening. Stephen Ranella has the meat eater on freaking mainstream TV and it's freaking popular. You have more and more people that are out there talking now. You know what? I, I kind of want my own chickens. You know what? I, I'm going to grow. I'm going to have my own chicken. I'm going to make my own garden. I want to do, you yeah, know what? Yeah. I want to know where my meat comes from. And I, I, I'm going to try this hunting. There are more and more people that are open to the idea of hunting that, in my opinion, than ever has been before. Now, we've had more people that were hunters, casual hunters. But now we have people that are adults that were never that never grew up in the culture, never had any mentor around them. It wasn't a cultural thing that they were brainwashed into. Oh no, no, no. These are functioning, high-performing, professional family adults that are making the critical decision that this resonates with me. I have value for it. Therefore, I want to try it. Or I'm open to the idea of it. It's becoming more mainstream. And so it may seem like we are, and this is, I'm, I am frustrated that we're always reacting to things Absolutely. rather than being proactive on things. But we have to admit that because, again, I don't agree with everything that Steven Ranella and the Meat Eater crew does or believes. 
but I will applaud them and I will I will stand with them and say, you guys, they're they're crushing it as far as who they're bringing to the table. Joe Rogan. Yes, we can have criticisms on Joe Rogan while you want, but the number of people who he's opened the eyes of the possibility of hunting being a legitimate activity that they want to try is massive. So the more yep. mainstream public starts accepting that hunting is a legitimate function and use on the landscape, the less, well, you diminish the non-hunter that you are, excuse me, that you diminish the anti-hunter and the animal activist. Why do you think they are acting like a, a scared animal, a, a, a rabid animal shoved in the corner? You've, you've got a, a wild animal caught and trapped in the corner. Of course, they're going to lash out. So not only are they seeing the general population move, in my opinion, starting to move away from their ideology, they're also seeing an opportunity that the fact that in some of these states, they know they have a progressive leftist, left-leaning governor, legislator, commissioners, etc. The time for them is now. They have to fucking move. Because if we go to another election and, th- and, 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 P- and the, co- the economy continues to go to shit, people get more and more disgruntled and unhappy with shit, and, and the political structure of certain states starts to change, they're done. Because they God, I hope so, man. They, I don't have a lot of faith in that side of it. They know that they cannot – they only appeal to the low-information voter, and they know that. I know. As soon as people start to pay attention, they start losing. So that's why they do not want to engage at an intellectual level. They want to go straight to the emotion and they want to go straight to the most egregious and they want to do it in the place where they have the most leftist progressive ideology on the landscape where they might win. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you're you're dead. You're, you're dead nuts, man. I, I just I that, that's what I worry about. It's like. For for decades now, that here's here's my problem with it. I guess for decades now, when you look at and compare progressive-run cities and states, economically, inflation-wise, crime rates, gun violence, all that stuff, against more conservative-run cities and states, it's there's no comparison. Conservative-run states outperform these liberal strongholds tenfold. But yet they still keep voting for the same shit. And that's where I get concerned. It's like it's like there's and I'm not trying to make this like a a, a Republican versus Democrat thing. But I mean, if you compare the economy, the border, the the inflation, uh, the interest rates during the Trump years versus the Biden years, and then you still have people running around out there saying that they're going to vote for Biden next cycle. It, it just, it, it like just blows my mind. It, it, it is mind boggling. <laughs> and you know what I, you know what I like about um, these conversations that we have guys is like, and I want the audience to know this too. Like w- we don't sit around off camera and, and come up with uh, a strategy to do these. We just say, Hey, how does six o'clock on Monday sound? Right. And we jump on, and this is where this shit leads. And and I, I really like that. I I don't. I, I just I I I think it's important to stress that point that this is not like some strategically 
you know, we have, we have meetings out, out, you know, off camera, off, off microphone kind of thing to develop these conversations. These just come from how we feel. And there's a lot of good shit that comes out of these. Yeah. Uh, I love it. They make it. Development or yeah. scripts don't don't happen. On I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Maybe. Maybe we should. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of like the way that these flow, and they, you know, uh, I I think okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bunch of research, and uh, you know, come come fully armed or whatever. Uh, but the problem is, is I'll research one topic, and we never even touch it. We go we go in totally different directions and we just we just respond to to the discussion at hand and I really like I think there's value in it. Um so anyway, I don't have any reason why I was saying that other than I think it's cool. I think it's I get a lot out of it. I I get a lot out of it. Yeah. And the other thing too is like you said earlier, there's a hell of a lot of people that are the silent majority that 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 are even if they don't agree with all the things we're saying, they're thinking some of the things that we're thinking and they don't have the ability to articulate some of the things that we're articulating. And they, they, they've just never had anybody else chew on some of the things that that are gnawing at the back of their head as well. So it's, it's good for, for it. It's just, it's good to have these discussions where other people can, even if they're just yelling into their phone, they can wrap their head around issue. I mean, I I've done that with numerous dif- different discussions I've listened to. I may not talk to the individuals, but I've, I've been able to machinate and, and, you know, either agree, disagree, debate or whatever in my head and, and make my own, you know, chew on my own points. And the only thing, the last, one of the last things I want to say guy is, you know, and both to you both, again, this goes back to Jim where I say, it seems like there's a lot going on right now. And it seems like the sportsmen have their back up against the wall. I am critical of what I'm seeing within the sportsman community from a leadership standpoint. And, and I'm, I'm bummed that I'm not seeing smarter people, like smarter people than I, like just out there, like here, here you know, somebody lead the fucking, like in a, in a, in a positive constructive, like a, a, a meaningful and a and constructive way. And it seems like I'm, 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 I've got this doom and gloom look. Part of me does. But if, if I had any intellectual honesty and integrity whatsoever, I would have to, based on what I just said just a minute ago, I would also have to say this. The animal activists may feel like this is their time. This is it. Because they're losing ground. But they might be losing ground socially from an acceptance of hunting standpoint. And they know that their time is limited to having these progressive uh, leaders that they can appeal to. The time for smart sportsmen is now. Because we do have the general public on our side from a a connectivity to nature understanding where our food comes from, having that connection to the earth, having, you know, what, whatever you want to put it. We have the general public is moving in our direction with acceptance of what we do. If, if, and this is what my podcast was uh, yet of today was if we can clean our shit up, we can clean our house up, but the general public is moving in our direction. This is where the sportsmen have to start getting, getting smart and saying, fine, you guys want to utilize the 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 proclivities the proclivities and the nature of progressive leaders? 
We will too. We have progressive people in power. We don't have to change the na- change the idea of the entire state of Washington, the entire state of Ca- of Colorado. We need to learn how to play the pl- by the playbook of freaking progressives and go straight to the governors, straight to the commissions, straight to the legislators and learn how to play that progressive game because that's all we need to do. We've got the public on our side. Start using the tactics against them. Use the same. If they want to change the game and they want to change the rules, fine. We'll roll with it. We'll play with the same damn set of rules. We'll still beat you. But we need to be smarter about it. We can't just go running back to mommy and daddy, that that pillar of the North American model of wildlife conservation, because the general public doesn't give a shit about that. We're going to have to be smarter. And the time is now. Beautiful. So I'm going to link episode uh, 62 of uh, Chris's recent podcast. I think it's well worth the listen. Yeah, you should, man. Yeah, it's yeah, well worth the that. listen. So it'll be in the show notes, folks. So what I what I did is I just threw down a few bullets, right? And, and kind of a takeaway. And my idea for this one um, was give you the backlog. But then I think there was several, a bunch of solutions and paths forward that we can all think about um, that were offered in this. I didn't want to have just another... Um, I don't want to call it a rant session, right? I feel like they're pretty productive, but for the lack of a better phrase, um, without offering solution or insights how, you know, Chris, myself and Jim see it. So, you know, my bullets for the the episode here are, you know, how do we come to the table collectively, um, understand the opposition, be honest about why we hunt. We need to engage more effectively and play the game and then look at a proactive approach instead of always having our backs against the wall. And if you guys have anything to add as we wrap this up, please throw that into that uh, that little stack there and give them something to walk away thinking with. That's uh, layman. Yeah, I, I I would second that. Uh, people listening to this really do need to go listen to episode sixty two on the Row Hunting Resources podcast because there's a metaphor that is used. I think the podcast episode, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, is called the house that Ted built. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a perfect. It's a perfect metaphor that makes this all this complicated shit that we're we're trying to swim our way through. Uh, it puts it into a perspective that anybody can understand in a way that makes us think, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that does make sense," and that it is so true how you put it in that episode. And, and I, I, I'm like trying to be cautious not to talk about what's in the episode because I want people to go listen to it. I, I really do think I, I put it out on my uh, social media as an episode that every hunter should listen to. And and I, I really do believe that. And so uh, definitely link that in your show notes. I'll, I'll do it mine too. I, I, I on, the, on the next one we do. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And for everybody listening, it's just, it's an hour and 51 minutes and um, so it's not as, it's not these, it, yeah. on one. So, um, but I, I had to do it even for myself, because again, I saw the same thing you guys have been seeing and, and, and the critic it, for those that have extended criticisms to me, uh, I've heard you because most of the criticisms have been like, holy shit, man, there's like, there's so much getting thrown at the wall that like, I, like, how the hell do I put this? Like what? I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I'm, I'm really having trouble trying to figure, you know, wrap my head around it. So I had to come up with a way to articulate 
what our family, what our community actually looks like and how, how we, cause people were thinking that I was ragging on blood origins or I'm ragging on, uh, howl or, and, and I've listen. I've got, I love what blood origins is doing, but I, I will disagree on, you know, some of the takes that Robbie might have on what even that's fine. We're on the same team. I've got some, some significant, um, criticisms of the howl.org model. That's fine. But at least hell, I, I will shake his hand. And the fact that he's out there doing something yes, like I, I can't, I won't take that away from it. I, I, I anyway, I'm not anyway. So I, I may be critical of my community. I might be critical of my housemates. Doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't, doesn't mean I don't love this house. It doesn't mean I don't love this community. It doesn't mean that that I don't find my identity squarely in the middle of it. I it, It's who I am and it's who I always will be. Uh, no matter where I go or what I do or however, it, 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 it's who I am. And, and I love it. And the reason why I'm passionate and why... What, what do they say? The opposite, you know, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. I, I will never be indifferent about this community. Even if I hate some other part of this community, that just means I feel so strongly about it that I have an emotion that, that needs to come out. So there's some things in my community I hate. There's some things I love. I just want to see us have a future in the long term to where your grandbaby there guy yes sir is out there back out there blazing trails on their own because they remember what grandpa did for them that's right boom yep all right well on that note appreciate everybody listening hope you found immense value from the fraternal order of western western row and until I'm sure we're going to have a part four, five, and six. And you might want to listen to 62 to get that one. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. It's a, cum- it's a cumulative story. It's a cumulative story. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Until the next I one. I love it.